Guten Tag. I am Wolf from Germany and I am enrolled at the Miskatonic University, Department of Unpronounceable Entities. It is a center for higher learning. It is a place with centuries of secrets in its shadowed halls. This is where you have come to learn the mysteries of the cosmos. Welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast, episode 51. This is the podcast dedicated to Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraft-related role-playing games. I'm Keeper Dan. I'm Keeper Murph. Glad to have you here. I'm Keeper Chad. Welcome, everybody. In episode 51, we try to figure out some of the gadgets left behind by our extra-dimensional visitors. And we talk about ways to use the antagonistic clubs and organizations the game is known for. First, we're going to start things off, as usual, with the Campus Crier. Miskatonic University Campus Crier. Campus Crier's Miskatonic U student paper. Here's we're going to go through up to the date news and feedback. We want to start things off with a uh, a sad note that author uh, Michael Shea, who has done a lot of uh, mythos fiction, uh, has passed away. Yep, he passed away on um, in February, and we're just getting around to talking about it. But he, uh, one of the things that uh, I remembered is we talked about him when we talked about the Shoggoth Lord, the story Fat Face was his. I think that's a 1987 story. And um, so he's um, a longtime uh, mythos writer and inventor of some of the monsters that we talk about. Mm-hmm. Oh. So it's he'll be missed in the community. Rest in peace, Mr. Shea. Chiasm announced on their Facebook page that uh, Oscar Rios's first monograph from 2005, Ripples from Carcosa, is soon going to become a full release with new art, maps, layout, and the text tightened up and re-edited. So, congrats to Oscar. Nice. Yeah, I, I know he's totally tickled about that. Yeah, yeah. And I saw the, uh, the I don't know if it's the sample cover or if it is the, the final cover, but it looked uh, really cool. Nice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it would definitely be a good idea right now for Chaosium or any of the other uh, publishers doing Mythos stuff to jump on the whole uh, Carcosa King and Yellow bandwagon, because yeah. right now it's become just monstrous thanks to True Detective. Yes. I, Absolutely. And, I, and, and on a side note, I myself have finally started being able to watch True Detective, so I have three episodes in, and it's really cool. Awesome. Haven't watched it yet myself. 
Yeah, I'm still uninitiated. But uh, yeah, if somebody sees the Carcosa name in a search and then ends up uh-huh. on, buying Chaosium stuff or on the MU podcast, yes. then uh, we won't complain. Insmith Free Press is releasing a scenario for Trail of Cthulhu by Adam Gauntlet, uh, who did uh, the Sisters of Sorrow campaign for Miskatonic River Press, called The Many Deaths of Edward Digby. This is the first actual game supplement from Innsmouth Free Press. Basically, this is the publishing arm of yogsothoth.com. So congratulations to those guys. That is awesome. Yeah, very cool. The, the opening line on the release is, Praise be to her is the last thing Bigsby says. But who is Bigsby and what does he want? And who would want to kill him? This is actually for trail, huh? Yep. Yeah, looks like they're starting off their game stuff with Trail. But, you know, that that game might just fit what they have in mind for the story better. So, Uh gotta go with what works for the the ideas for the scenario. Sure, it sounds like uh, a heavy mystery, and Mm -hmm. Gumshoe's definitely very well suited for that kind of thing, so... And there's an Indiegogo campaign that I actually jumped in on called She Walks in Shadows. And what this is, is it's a fiction anthology written by an all-woman writing crew. So it's all ladies writing these stories about the various uh, handful of females who were mentioned in Lovecraft's stories. Oh, wow. And then I think also like branching out into uh, original ones but there's basically been some women mentioned in lovecraft stories not too many but the ones that were have basically been given their own stories possibly even telling the lovecraft story from the woman's point of view oh wow cool and yeah there it's very cool and so they they funded and uh, they've got five days left and now they're hoping to get a stretch goal in there, which will then put uh, some art into the book, which will uh, also be done by uh, all-female. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. And $10 gets you the uh, the ebook copy of it. That's what I jumped in on. Or if you want the actual physical book, that's only $20. So it's not expensive. No, that's very affordable. That's very good. So yeah, that's I'm great. looking forward to that. That's going to be very cool. So congratulations on getting funded. Awesome. Yes, that is awesome. Also, uh, coming up, we have, uh, there's a new Kickstarter out there. Um, that Ain't Right, a Lovecraft-themed anthology. And uh, this is something I, I, I was not actually aware of, but it, I guess there's a uh, uh, the Mad Scientist Journal. Uh, do you guys uh, read that or subscribe to that? Nope. I don't. Uh-uh. Not heard okay, of it. Okay, so it looks like the Mad Scientist Journal uh, for a couple of years now has uh, been giving audiences uh, tales uh, from the world of mad scientists. And it looks like they've also uh, dabbled in uh, the Miskatonic Valley. And so it, there you have a Kickstarter going that I believe is going to be a uh, print edition of some of their stories so it's pretty good nice yeah that looks that looks great it's Very called cool. that ain't right historical accounts of the Miskatonic valley yep 
And they've got. Uh, it looks like they've got some uh, some pretty good content going already, with several uh, authors already listed. So that is pretty cool. But uh, yeah, so take that cover art with the trees bleeding and melting into the sky. Yeah, inverted. Yeah, up into the uh, up into the sky. So so it looks like they've got an original author or original artist doing doing an original cover for them. But. Uh, yeah. And fifteen dollars gets you a hard copy of the book. Yeah, again, it's a very affordable. Uh, yeah. the ebook's uh, only five dollars. So yeah, that's that's a great one. And they they do only have six days to go on their Kickstarter. So jump on that. Yep. And what level do I have to join to get this crocheted Cthulhu cupcake? <laughs> yeah. Did you see this thing? <laughs> I do. Oh, that's, that's pretty cute. That's pretty weird. <laughs> that's pretty weird. Uh that's the sixty dollar loathsome delight level. Nice. <laughs> that is a loathsome delight. That is cool. Very cool. And very original. I like the idea of a cupcake. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, there's more. There's always uh, more uh, fiction to read. And, and so here is a uh, Kickstarter collecting uh, some fiction that, that this uh, group, the Mad Scientist Journal, has been uh, collecting. So, uh, yeah. It's very, very inexpensive. They are fully funded, uh, so anybody who jumps in, you know, you're guaranteed to. Well, I want to say guaranteed, but yeah, you know, you're definitely you're getting something uh, that uh, that has already met its funding. So yeah. this is not one well, that's since struggling. Since they already have the stories, they're just collecting them and re-editing and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, I, so, I think people yeah. should feel. Uh, yeah, you should feel comfortable that that this will be a, a, a successful investment. Then next up, our uh, friend Oscar Rios, his Golden Goblin Press Kickstarter for uh, uh, Tales of the Crescent City, has finished its Kickstarter with uh, $36,636 and 694 backers. And wow. they basically plowed over the, uh, the stretch goals like a drunk fat man at Mardi Gras. <laughs> I, I just the genius of this Kickstarter. You know, Oscar engineered it to run forty days. He engineered it to uh, close on Mardi Gras on Fat Tuesday, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, he did a great job. And this is, uh, I think, this is a full book of scenarios. I don't know if it has any uh, real source material inside for uh, New Orleans. Um, but it's got uh, a big, thick, you know, very King and Yellow-centric, New Orleans-centric book of scenarios. And then there's also the, uh, the companion PDF, Legends of New Orleans, That's uh, that was a uh, fully achieved stretch goal. The, when that Legends of New Orleans was initially conceived, six authors were brought in, and uh, Oscar was going to do... Uh, two authors at a time as stretch goals, uh, 
and all six of us were uh, successfully, uh, stre- you know, the, those stretch goals were reached. So, so that uh, Legends of New Orleans will ha- be complete uh, with all of the uh, intended authors for that. And yeah, this is going to be fun. This will be this will be a good book. Yeah, and there will be some source info in there because stretch goal number two was a uh, New Orleans neighborhood guide. By oh, that's right. Yeah. New Orleans Mythos and yeah. his yeah. Uh, his crew. So that's going to give basically details neighborhood by neighborhood. So that's that great. way keepers can help bring the city to life for their players. Yeah, New Orleans Mythos was uh, an invaluable resource for me uh, as I was trying to plot out my uh, Legends of New Orleans uh, story. He helped ah. me figure out uh, where, where a you know place. where certain okay. things should take place, and and uh, and I was you know conceiving that certain NPCs might live in an apartment, and there aren't really a lot of apartments. Uh, people uh, rent out rooms uh, and homes and mm. stuff. So he helped me uh, figure that out and locate a, a suitable neighborhood where a character would have been renting out a room in the yeah. back and all that stuff. It was, it was, he was invaluable to help cool. me make this uh, story more realistic. Yeah. And the last Kickstarter, uh, the stretch goal that they got was uh, photos from New Orleans Mythos. So basically, oh, cool. they're going to be going around town and taking pictures of things that have been around since the 20s. And then uh, a good number of them will be digitally altered to appear period to the 1920s and Very so cool. you can see some photos of of structures and and just various things that are to, to help bring out the atmosphere of the era in the location so that's very cool congratulations to everybody involved yeah that's very cool definitely i'm super excited about it i, I got to uh play test play on two scenarios and it's just the whole thing is chock full of great insider information and you know it's actually not a setting that would have been at the top of my list for for running a game but it is now because I feel after playing a couple of games with two different keepers I I sort of feel like I have it in my in my bones and I understand it better so love it yeah, also on the Facebook page for Golden Goblin Press, um, Oscar has announced that they're now going to move into the editing phase for their next project, which is mm-hmm. um, Cthulhu Invictus De Horror Cosmico. Yep. So they're going back to uh, one of back Oscar's. Invictus. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah, Oscar wrote the uh, Invictus campaign, the Legacy of Arias Lurko, one of the most recorded campaigns that I've encountered. Uh huh. Yeah. So and they're so, going to be launching yeah, that. He's, he's got a lot of history in Invictus, and he's going back there. And he shared a uh, rough uh, pencil, uh, you know, pencil outline of what the cover is going to look like on the Facebook page. And it is really cool. Yeah. I think I almost like it just as the black and white like this. Yeah, it's pretty dark I'm sure the dark full color will also be awesome, but I, I kind of like the, the pencil look. I do, too. Yeah, that's, that's wicked. 
the Oscar in the back of the book include a copy of a full page of just the uh, the the black and white version too, just because it it looks really cool. I bet it would look great in print. Absolutely, or as a poster, as a stretch goal, or something. Yeah, but he said he'll be working on that after the uh, Tales of the Crescent City actually goes out. So you don't have to worry about another Kickstarter from Golden Goblin jumping up right away. He's He's pacing them out so that way they're well prepared for the next one, but he's not overlapping Kickstarters. He waits for very fulfillment. wise. Yeah, fulfillment to the previous one before going to the next one, just like he did with Island, Islands of Ignorance, and then moving into Tales of the Crescent City. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and there's cool. a another anthology that is being uh, put out there. This is an Indiegogo campaign. It is definitely the season for crowdfunds. And this is World War Cthulhu, not associated with the role-playing game books of the same title. This is a collection of fiction of Lovecraftian war stories with illustrations. And that cover is amazing. Yeah, that's I I love that cover. uh, It's one of the few times you get to see Cthulhu, like, really up close and personal. I know, I love it. Yeah, he's reaching for a little soldier there on the <laughs> on the beach, and all these swords and weapons like sticking out of his hand that have been jabbed in there futilely. He's he's oh even got gosh. like medieval weapons sticking out of his. I know. Tentacles. I'm wondering. I wonder if they've just been stuck in there for for a long time. Yeah, why wouldn't he pick those well, out? Well, he's holding a cannon there, too, uh, a sort of, um, you know, 18th and 19th century cannon. Oh, yeah, he's got yeah. it wrapped in one of his tentacles there. Yeah. That's... Right next to the U-boat that he's sinking. Mm-hmm. And a helicopter yeah. in the background, so it's obviously a multi-era Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, story when you go down the list of stories, it actually has stories from all sorts of different wars. Mm-hmm. Wars and battles and conflicts. So there's, you know, World War Two. there's the American War for Independence, there's Troy, there's uh, Roman modern Britain. Day. Yeah. yeah, modern day. Vietnam. The authors include it's... John Shirley, Mark Rainey, Willem Pugmire, uh, William Meikle, Tim Curran, and Jeffrey Thomas. And Robert M. Price. Oh, where? Oh, right. Great. Right under Pugmire. And, of course, Brian Sammons, who's also editing the book. I believe he's also editing it with uh, Glenn Barris. Glenn Owen Barris. Cody Goodfellas oh, oh, in there. More past the- wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I had to scroll down past a couple of uh, YouTube videos there, and there's like a whole bunch more authors. Yep. Yeah, this is chock-a-block. So- it's a yeah. huge book. Yeah, and they've still got 43 days left on their Kickstarter, so there's plenty of time to jump in on this thing. And oh. if you want to just get a, a basic text-only, no-images PDF of the text of the book, $1. Is that right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Holy if you crap. want it with all the illustrations and stuff, $5. That's an interesting and probably brilliant strategy. 
for yeah. fifteen bucks. For fifteen bucks, you can get the trade paperback. So it's a physical book. I'm it's mm-hmm. it's a it's that. a soft cover physical book. Yeah, that's lovely. Yeah, that that right there is probably the one I'm gonna end up jumping in on, so I can actually get a physical one because this is really cool and I like the idea of it being a trade paperback style format because it just seems to. I bet with the illustrations and everything, especially with that cover, it looks like it should be like a mega-sized comic almost. Mm. I know it won't be, but it looks... That cover just has that kind of appeal. Uh-huh. Yeah. This looks great. Yep. Looking forward to seeing that. I love, by the way, I love being able to do put the news out on the same day. It's so cool. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm just so glad of this new Isn't format. Isn't it's great. Yeah. It's very cool. So and now yeah. we've got to announce the winner of our contest that we ran on the site that started up Yay. after the last episode was released. It was kind of a last minute put things together thing from uh, the uh, Kickstarter for the card game Cthulhu the Great Old One and uh, the bicycle card deck that went with it. That this is a really neat little prize pack that was put together with uh, yeah, coins is. and dice and miniature even it has Cthulhu's Cthulhu cufflinks. Oh, cool <laughs> oh those that? are cufflinks. <laughs> those are great. cufflinks. <laughs> That's that that really got my attention. It's like they're they're what? That's <laughs> awesome. And a lapel pin, and so yeah, it's got all sorts of nifty things in there. And we did a uh, raffle copter, raffle copter contest with that, where it's the social media thing, you know, share, share out, and like Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And so let's take a look and generate up the winner. And as I hit the button, it randomly grabs somebody, and Zombie Master. Hey, no way. Right on. Hey, all right. I think he's a fairly new uh, listener. So I'm going to be sending you an email with uh, confirmation that you were the one who won it. And also send your info over to the uh, over to Dan, who's running that Kickstarter. And he will get your prize pack out to you. Congrats. Congrats to Zombie Master. Absolutely. And we've got some uh, Gen Con update news. We have our room confirmed for our live episode recording. Wow. That is cool. Yep. That makes it real. Yes, it does. I've been waiting (laughs) to hear back that, you know, that they actually confirmed it. I was wondering if they were going to accept it or not. Because I put it down for a two-hour block. Because our show, you know, usually goes around... Lately, it's been between the two and three hour mark, sometimes over, but that's because we're all long-winded and chatty. But I went ahead and put in for a two-hour, and they accepted it. So our info will be in the show notes, but also the uh, just for the record on the show, our uh, live recording is uh, listed as a seminar, and that's SEM. One, four, five, three, two, one, four. And once that goes live on 
Gen Con sites, we're going to have a link, direct link for that, so that way folks can find it. And this is on Friday the 8th from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. at the West Inn in the uh, room name for, it's called the Council. So we'll be in the Council room at the West Inn. Right on. Yay. That's awesome. That is awesome. Wow. Yes, indeed. It's still so crazy. It's hard to imagine, but that we actually will get to meet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just so excited about doing this. It's going to be fantastic. And unfortunately, John's not going to be able to be there at our live recording. Yes. Strangers are more important. Yeah, I thought that went without saying. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ass. Okay. Well, are we allowed to say that you'll be? It's because you'll be running games. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm already scheduled. Yeah. (laughs) I'm already scheduled to be running uh, uh, games for uh, Goodman Games. Uh, So I'm going to be running. Four Age of Age of Cthulhu scenarios, two on Friday and two on Saturday, and uh, so yeah, the uh, the second game of Friday actually starts at like one, so I'll be yeah. I'll be at my game. So it's Joe Goodman's fault. It is. It's Joe Goodman's fault, but it's all good. Register uh, your displeasure by going up and buying stuff. Exactly. There you go. Wait a minute, are you doing any booth time? For uh, I Goodman? expect I will be doing booth time uh, uh, Saturday or Thursday, maybe a little, and uh, Sunday. Uh, again, you know, my, my schedule is so tight, I'm flying in on Thursday afternoon. So I, 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 I land in, in Indy uh, at 1, so the show had already started. And then I fly out on Sunday at three. So yeah. we shall see. But things are looking good. Excellent. And now we've got some uh, feedback from our wonderful listeners. And first up, we've got an audio one here from Admiral Kraken. Hello, my fellow MU alumni. This is Admiral Kraken of the Airship North Star. I want to inform those of you who may be interested that the airship Northstar crew will be taking some much-deserved shore leave at Calico Ghost Town outside of Barstow in California. While we are there, we will be revealing the finest crew member our mech deck has ever built. The dynamic armored generic organic neutralizer stands over eight feet tall, and as you may have guessed, is designed to eliminate unruly organics. I am proud to say that the use of the Dagon 4.2 robot has never caused collateral damage beyond that of which we deemed an acceptable amount. So treat yourself. Come out and mingle with the crew of the airship Northstar the second weekend in April at Calico Ghost Town. And as a proud alumni of MU, I would be remiss if I did not say, Go Pods. So, Go Pods! <laughs> Thanks, Admiral. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah. Wow. April 12th and 13th, if you're in uh, the vicinity of Barstow, California, 
head on out to Calico Ghost Town, or it's going to be a link in the show notes, and go visit the meet the crew of the airship North Star, and hopefully your uh, will is in order and life insurance is paid up. You too can experience the wonders of their unruly organic eliminator. <laughs> wow. My mind is a little bit blown at the moment. <laughs> I don't I didn't know if that was real or <laughs> this was crazy rantings from a listener. What is going on? I think it's, it's an actual going event. From that, I think it's a I think it's a steampunk LARP group. Yeah, yeah. Right on. So <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's a, yeah, the, could, the Calico Ghost Town is a real place. Yeah. So you you could almost hear the uh, stovetop hat and goggles that were. Yes. Wearing, so. <laughs> the clicking of gears. Well, he's an admiral, and, so I really don't think that he's necessarily wearing a stovepipe hat. No, but I'm sure whatever hat he's wearing has lots of feathers. Yes. <laughs> and lots of braids in the coat. Yes. No, that uh, sounds awesome. That sounds it awesome. It does. Send us a link with pictures whenever you have your event, Admiral. I was just going to say that. We'd love to see some pictures. uh, And (laughs) that's awesome. (laughs) Thanks for calling. So we got an email uh, from Wolf. He says, Hi, guys. Don't know whether teaser number three for the new Lovecraft adaptation makes me even more interested or worried instead. The gore effect seems okay, but the CGI obviously needs more post-production. Don't know how far the... Wow. Sphere Renter, guys, really are with their project. Paul interviewed them for Yog Radio number 49. Uh, so maybe they'll post more about Die Tromelande. Yeah, so. the Yeah, is that right? I think it's D. Tromelade. Tromelade. Okay. Yeah, the Yog Soft forms. Okay. Uh, best regards, Wolf. So. Thanks for the message there. Oh, I think it, it, is it that Dreamlands movie? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, there's a German Dreamlands film that it, it's done by the same guys that did the um oh, uh, uh, uh Die Farb. Ah. The Color Out of Space adaptation. Okay. Cool. Really? And they're doing a Dreamlands film and they've released a couple of short little trailers and apparently they've done a third one that i have not seen yet okay cool so jason wright wrote in uh with a question that he thought might be worthy of a segment uh what are some good pre-written scenarios for running at a convention oscar rios's lonely point lighthouse is a big hit at my local con and i'm eager to find a few more to run thanks for the show jason wright i love the uh, the chiasium halloween books um, all those different uh, the Halloween monographs. Um, the 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 rules for getting into that is that it's supposed to be a five thousand word scenario. Well, those five thousand word scenarios. I mean, that is a short enough um, uh, amount of text that that any scenario that's in there, unless it was designed to be uh, some kind of sandbox where it's really open ended and, and just you know you're just exploring horror. You should be able to run any of those in a four-hour slot at a uh, convention, I would think. That makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, those are all short little 
adventure seeds almost. They're like adventure seeds with good details. Yeah. And uh, one so, of yeah, the one of the things that Oscar Rios is is proud of, uh, I only know this because he's I've heard him say it, is that he has a scenario in every one to to date in every one of the uh, uh, Halloween monographs, <laughs> the, those contest monographs <clears throat> from uh, from Chaosium. So it, you buy any one of them, and you will be treated to an Oscar Rios scenario. Awesome. But uh, if the, uh, Mike does his idea of only new people for some of these contests, then <laughs> it'll end up breaking Uh-oh. the streak. He may have to will, grandfather in Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Unless Oscar starts writing under pseudonyms, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he might. Right. I was going to say the Blood Brothers books, all, I think all of those scenarios tend to be one-shotty Um they're certainly yeah. not meant to be campaigns. They're all standalone. So. Yeah. That yeah. Makes sense. I mean, that's it's a little different, but you also might find they'd be popular because people can key into a, a genre of film that they might not otherwise, you know, with Lovecraft, you either have read it or you haven't. So um, that's one way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the uh, older uh, Chaosium books, uh, scenario books, were anthology books. So, like the the there's the book titled "The Great Old Ones," uh, and mm, there's right. that there's that great uh, Ihort scenario in there, uh, the name of which I can't the think. Bale of right. God? Is that the Bale God? The Bale God? Yes, the that's Bale. a good one. Yep, that is a great one, and I think that one that one also could be run. It might be a little tight, but it, I think it could be run in four hours. Sure. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so there's yeah. there's a lot of stuff out there I think that could be uh, that could be used uh, and run at a uh, convention uh, and obviously you know be prepared you know know the scenario uh, bring uh, uh, especially if the if the scenario does not have pre generated characters go ahead and generate characters make some characters uh, have. Um, uh, an assortment for people to play with so that way you're not only bringing five you know prepare a dozen and then you know if you run it twice rarely are you going to get the uh, uh, same four or five characters played in two different games you know Uh, but yeah just be prepared and uh, it should be able to be run in the four hour slot yeah then we've got another voicemail in from our friend Cody in Indianapolis Hey guys, it's Cody from Indianapolis again. Um, I want to call in and tell you guys I enjoyed the last two episodes, uh, particularly the King in Yellow. Uh, I thought it was a really cool how you guys uh, went in depth with that, and apparently there's a lot of love on the forums and with the listeners of your podcast for the King in Yellow. So I thought I'd dump a little bit of uh, um, some creative ideas on you guys, since uh, my degree is actually in theater. Um, if people are looking for interesting actual uh, historical writers who would have sort of written the way that King Yellow is portrayed. Um, I recommend uh, Alfred Yari, J-A-R-R-Y, and Antonin Artaud, mm. A-R-T-A-U-D. Um, these guys are basically batshit crazy. Um, they wrote all kinds of really weird things. <laughs> yeah. I especially recommend Artaud's Spurt of Blood, although I'm not responsible for the fan loss when you read it. It's only two pages, so I recommend everybody stop and Google it now because it's nuts. And uh, it would definitely add some flair if you were running um, 
some sort of cane yellow type thing where you need to use some imagery or symbolism. Um, if anybody finds that helpful, uh, I can definitely call in with uh, some other ideas or talk about it on the forums or whatnot. Uh, thanks for Tatters with King, by the way. I bought that. Looking forward to running that. Um, another thing I called in with a quick question. Um, just going around the table, and Dockside Dogs doesn't count. I bought that. I'm going to run that tonight. Um, if you guys had one show, uh, had a one shot, a four hour session to showcase, uh, Call of Cthulhu to new players, what would that one shot <laughs> be? Something that encompasses investigation, you know, the terror, the fan loss, that sort of thing. What would be you guys' picks if you could go and spend 10 bucks on drive through RPG or the used bookstore right now? Um, and finally, last thing, uh, awesome. I'm glad you guys are all coming to Indianapolis. Sounds like Murph has the room, but Chad and John, I still have backyard space, but I don't actually own a tent, so it's a <laughs> BYOT kind of party. Anyway, I hope you guys are planning on doing some sort of get-together. Uh, when you get here to Indy, I hope there's some other people coming to Gen Con. It'd be nice to thank you guys for all your hard work and uh, buy you a beer. So hopefully you guys will put together something either, you know, uh, planned in the book or something impromptu so we can all say thanks in person. Uh, thanks for all the good work you guys do, and uh, go Pods. Thanks, thanks, Cody. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Cody. <laughs> uh, what, if we were going to spend 10 bucks, what uh, scenario do you think would be a good showcase that could be run at a convention that, uh, that, that features and highlights everything that's good about uh, Call of Cthulhu? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, and I mean, and are very hard, right? To pick one, and I don't me, know about the ten- edge of darkness. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. That's okay. that's one of my favorites. Well, yeah. that's a good one. I've introduced two uh, campaigns with uh, Edge of Darkness, and it it works well. Well, one that I that pops to mind. I'm not sure that uh, that I would necessarily have to pick it over all the other ones but um the reeling midnight by tom lynch in the uh i think it's in the new tales of the miskatonic valley um is really good for investigation and one of the things that i like about it is that it's investigating people so it's sort of an active investigation where you're you're following people and kind of um tracking their movements and stuff is sort of a, a, a stakeout kind of thing. Uh-huh. So that's got a lot of good possibilities. Um, it's an unusual end um, baddie. So, um, you know, it showcases something that's unusual and that's something to think about. Like, it might that might not be attractive because of it. Um, but I... That's a great book. <laughs> There's a lot of, lot of great scenarios in that book, so I recommend Yeah, there are... Yeah, there's a lot of great scenarios in that book. Um, I think the the one deterrent might be the the length, but I think really Midnight is one that could be played in uh, in the forest. I have read that one. I haven't read all of them in that book, but I've read that one. That's that is a really good one. I love Tom's writing. Yeah, and that takes place in Arkham, so. Mm-hmm. I, I particularly like that one as a campaign starter because it has the possibility of introducing a ton of NPCs all at once at a at an opening party. Yeah, oh. uh, and and I, I was actually thinking about that too as maybe a campaign starter. Uh, some of these uh, uh, campaign starter scenarios 
could be done in four hours and it could uh, provide enough information, enough entertainment to uh, try and maybe hook people in. Uh, I, I even wonder if the uh, the opening New York segment of uh, Masks of Nyarlathotep would be a, a good one at, uh, at a con. Um, you know, you can initially, you know, start yeah. investigating, you know, the, the letter from uh, Jackson Elias and Jackson. then, you know, there's, mm-hmm. get, get, you know, just get that ball rolling. Cause that is a, that's a really good, I think a really good intro to uh, Call of Cthulhu as well. There's a lot of good investigation and, uh, and uh, just stuff that's happening even in just New York. So that could work out well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that not a bad idea is that any, the scenarios that start off a campaign are perfectly capable of being used solo. You, it's not that difficult to simply eliminate a couple of clue trails that would lead them further. True. And just make it into its own self-contained thing. It's not that difficult to do. Yep. In almost all the cases, campaigns are actually just a series of small scenarios that have connective tissue. And just sever that, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think for my personal taste, I'm, I'm thinking of all kinds of scenarios like dockside dogs that I, that I really love, but that um, if you're just introducing people in a four-hour session, for my personal taste, I want to keep them in Lovecraft country and kind of uh, a, a sort of traditional um, investigation. Yes. Yeah. I mean that's just my personal taste, uh, but that's something to think about. How what part of Lovecraft's world do you want to introduce? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. That's you know if it if it's in Arkham, so much better too. You know. Yeah. Because it's, it's the setting as well. So. Mm-hmm. I really loved the paper chase. That was my first scenario. Um, probably worked for a smaller group. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because wasn't wasn't paper chase designed for one keeper, one player? I think so, yeah. Yeah, when I looked it over last time, I believe that was something I noted, was that it was kind of intended as a solo. Which I kind of like that idea of having a solo included in the core book like that used to be. That's a cool idea. Uh Now we've got another voicemail from Keeper Riley. Guys, this is Keeper Riley. First off, I want to say thank you for doing this podcast. You're one of the main reasons I got back into role-playing, and certainly the main reason I love Call of Cthulhu as much as I do today. I've always been a big fan of The King in Yellow. The idea of art that could drive people insane is creepy, in part because it's happened more than once in reality. Your recent show on Haster, and the new show True Detective, restarted my interest in writing up a Carcosa game, so I started to do some research. I've read many of the stories in which Haster and Carcosa appear, And nowhere in the original Robert W. Chambers stories is Haster a god, elder or otherwise. In fact, in the Demoiselle d'Ease, Haster is just one of four falconers. It was only Durleth who inserted the idea that Haster must be an elder god. Now, though, the Call of Cthulhu community has accepted Haster and the King in Yellow as gods. My question is this. What do you consider to be true canon? especially when it comes to writing up your own scenarios. Thanks for listening. Go Pods. Hello, Keeper Riley here again. 
Just so I don't sound completely silly, I do realize that Haster was mentioned as a god originally in the first story he appeared in, but rather as a shepherd god rather than the Haster we know and love today. I think this still ties into my question of what do we consider canon, because if Haster is mentioned in a book of, well, complete and utter insanity, how does that tie into him being a shepherd god if that's the story he originally appeared in? Anyway, food for thought. Go Pods. Thank you, Riley. Cool. So, personal canon for when you you write out scenarios. Yeah. We kind of touched well, on this a little bit when we were talking to Mike. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking, too. But yeah. it, it basically largely comes down to, as far as I see it, when I come up with scenarios, especially if I was going to do something for publication, yes, I would pay attention to other scenarios that have been published, and particularly what's listed in the core rulebook, because that is simply a continuity that is more convenient to maintain than to try and explain away as being different. And yes. so that's mm -hmm. that would be my thought if I were going to publish something. Now, if I was just going to run something myself that I didn't intend for anyone else to run... All bets are off. And change anything you want, and that's a good thing, particularly if you've got experienced players, because you can throw their expectations totally out of whack. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. I mean, my, I I would go with a kind of no holes barred <laughs> kind of approach, for, as far as I'm concerned. Like you, this is uh, there is no canon. Uh, I agree with Mike that. There's no nothing is set in stone in the mythos, and that's one of its strengths. It's just kind of like adaptable and will move with the times. It's why people can write contemporary fiction with with the mythos in it. And what I really like about what I heard Keeper Riley talking about is kind of like when you're writing a, an academic paper. Like it, you can say whatever you want. Go ahead and back it up with um, stuff from source material. And, you know, I just, I, I support that kind of thoughtful approach where you go back, you look for evidence, and you, you know, use that for inspiration to take something in a new direction, as long as you can justify it. It's kind of like we talked about putting Arkham in Alaska. Well, just, that's mm -hmm. awesome. Just figure out why are you doing that, you know, give, give a good reason, and uh, make it a way to explore the mythos in, in a slightly different angle. I totally agree. Yeah, the... Um, Mike Mason said it best that, that there is no canon, um, but you know you're right. If you're going to be you know Dan's right. If if, if you're going to be publishing something, you need to lean on something. You need to to take into account uh, the core rule book and and what's been uh, published there. But there's no reason why you couldn't uh, have notes that say you know acknowledge. Uh, the core rule book and the settings uh, and the, the the descriptions there, and say this you know here's a here's a, a a new take on that or a new twist. So there's no reason why even published material couldn't deviate. Um, but I would think published would deviate only slightly. Where if you're running it, you know, personally 
and it's your own campaign, it could deviate greatly and, and just be amazing. Um, so, uh, yeah, Keeper Riley shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't feel uh, anchored or, or even restricted if, if that's how you may be feeling by, uh, by canon, you know, in air quotes. Uh, make up your own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's great. I mean, there, there's so much that you can, when you really delve into all the stories that are out there, that you can pull out little elements that are either poorly explained or leave room for um, for creativity. I do like, you know, I like, I think of Brett Kramer's approach with the, um, with the newsletter where he really does look into exactly what's been written about a particular place in Lovecraft yeah. Country, you know? And I, I, I like scholarship. I enjoy it as a player mm-hmm. and as a keeper when, when someone has really looked into backgrounds. Um, that doesn't mean it has to be set in stone, but if you're telling me that, you know, Kingsport is larger than Arkham, that, that changes um, my understanding of the world a little bit, and, and I'd like to have a good reason uh, Riley's example of that, okay, the first exam, uh, time that Haster was mentioned in a story had him listed as a shepherd god. That phrase can mean any number of things, mm-hmm. and find the interpretation you like, or if there's better interpretation and info in the story itself, use it, and just simply have a paragraph at the opening of the scenario that says this has Haster and we're taking this interpretation of him from this story. Just that way the Keeper can then read it, get an idea for what is being gone for here, and then they can roll with it. Uh-huh. You know, just yeah, supply that- information, and it's all good. Do what you like. Yeah, interpretation is just part of the fun of this game and this world mm-hmm. that we are co-creating. Yeah, that's something about the mythos, is that if something feels like it's able to be truly understood, then it needs to be changed. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If it's not getting reinvented and twisted and corrupted, yeah, it it, Mm -hmm. it starts to seem like pastiche and not all that interesting. So. Yep. Especially something like Haster that's developed this kind of persona over time that if he starts getting too familiar then definitely twist it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That could even be a... Uh, you can drop that in as clues in your game as well. Maybe the investigators are following a paper trail and they come across a journal and there are notes in that journal that you know someone has documented that, that clearly conflicts with things that players yeah. have knowledge of as a meta... Mm-hmm. You know, the, the players are bringing meta-knowledge, especially if you're experienced players. And then suddenly their, their characters are finding clues that, conf- that, that diametrically conflict with that meta-knowledge. Well, now you're, you're, I, I feel like that has the potential to draw the players in even deeper into this game because now they want to, as players, investigate this to find out, wow, is there another truth here? Is there another facet to this jewel that, that we haven't seen and, and you know, dig into that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. I love that. That's a great idea. Man, fun questions to answer. <laughs> yeah, that was, oh, yep. that was good. Yeah, yeah a good handful of uh, audio feedback, but 
we ask for them and people are delivering them and keep it coming. Yeah, that's great. Thank you all so much. I think we should also mention that we do get a lot of feedback and, and we want to, I, I especially, I, I want to really thank everybody for sending feedback in. I know that we don't get to mention everything on the show, but we do read everything that comes in and uh, really appreciate any feedback you want to send us. So, yeah, definitely. I read it all, you know, it's, yeah, uh, like it's when something, it blows my mind. So it's great. Mm-hmm. If I'm having a bad day, I go read the community feedback exactly, and it just makes me feel better. Exactly. So, um, I have a lot of bad days, so send us some more feedback. On that uplifting note, <laughs> uh, Murph's having a bad day right now. So. I'm so sick, and I've got to, I've got to get better, but I'm just not getting better today. I'm sorry. Have you a real love of books and learning? You do? That's good. All right. I've got something for the card catalog here. Chad, you found this uh, particular link for us, so why don't you give us a description of what you've found. I I just stumbled on this during a random image search and found this incredibly disturbing series of pieces of art. What the hell were you searching for? That's oh, all I, I kind of wish I knew. I wish I knew. Damn, um, man. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, it really is. Um, <laughs> so it's it's a. I guess you would call this a blog. It might even be. Yeah, it's called Bizarro Central, and they do a bunch of different kind of image stuff. Um, there's it, there's a whole magazine and everything, but um, I'm linking to the Monsters page. And somebody is curating, Sam Reeve is posting these really strange artwork. Very, very <laughs> different things, yeah. The second one down just completely freaks me out. It's a bunch of little girls with... Um, That's the one I was looking at. Yeah. Which, like, uh, the, the one on the second line, the far left, with the eggs. I know, what eating her own... The hell. As, a, as an egg. No, that's they it's an egg. Yeah, it's it's an egg drooping out of her eye, and I mean this is fried like, egg bra. That's just I don't. Yeah, okay. Or the or the angel one with the um, mask torn away at the jawline and all right. the teeth underneath. Yeah. <laughs> like anyway, describing or the, or the one next to that with with no actual face and just a giant gaping maw of sharp teeth. Yes. Uh, with blood dripping from it, it's, it's very interesting. So this is, I mean, it's really, the content is disturbing. So, you know, it's not, I would say this is not safe for work, but uh, it's a great. Well, there, there are some boobs later, so. Uh, p- you know, pissing course, penises. I mean, they have, a lot of- the boobs are like on this thing. I don't even know what it is. It's like boobs wearing a helmet with some tentacles coming out of it. I don't get it. Right. Um, it's some, some interesting stuff here, man. But I, you know, I just yeah. love to look these kinds of things for inspiration because it's not, you know, it's not like there's a story per se, but it can give you ideas that might be a little outside the box. Right. Um, no, it's actually just, really cool. I like a lot of the stuff they have on here. So it's a good find. Super creepy. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen Don Ken artwork? Does that D-A-W-N or D-A-R-D-O-N? D-O-N. Um, let me see. I'm sorry. 
if we're just talking about random artwork sites. This guy is amazing. Um, oh, yeah, Don Ken. Yeah, we've talked about him before. Oh, we have. I want to say we have. He's the um, the Danish gentleman who did the uh, very uh, Alfred Gorey-esque type mm-hmm. uh, images. Edward uh, Edward, sorry, Edward Gorey type images um, from a few years back now, I guess. Are you still doing them now, I guess? so. Yep. But uh, I, I want to say that we've actually talked about him on the show before. All right. Well, how about Stephen Gamble, the guy who did the um, scary stories to tell in the dark um, series? You guys familiar with that guy? Also amazing. Mm-hmm. He did, there's a series of just folklore stories turned you know turned into text in these books but um and kind of like the you know normal stuff uh, that you would yeah. say but his the artwork of Stephen Gamble on these stories is outrageously good and and there's been some controversy lately because a, they're doing a new edition but they decided that the art is too scary for kids they may be right but it's like to me it's a huge loss because it's incredibly uh beautiful artwork and also so disturbing <laughs> and yeah it's strange you know he's very um he's got an interesting point of view like his scarecrow herald i don't know if you've seen that one yet um it, it's a scarecrow um his legs are like filled with straw or whatever but you wouldn't be able to tell that from the waist up. It looks like a human being that's hanging from a stick in a in a field. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, like noosed, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it might be a scarecrow. You know what I mean? It's it's a very yeah. His art and I love this. Uh, I don't know what this thing is, um, but let me let's just link this one and uh some kind of creature so you know f- uh, we're talking about artwork i think as a as the inspiration for either creatures or plot lines um and i think that guy steven Gamble, is a good inspiration oh yeah what- that's a that is a freak is that t- fingers for for toes and whatnot that's that is just disturbing i have no idea what that thing is <laughs> it looks like it's on a leash that's what's even worse yeah it's a pet with a little yeah. bow on it. <laughs> little bow on it, too, yeah. That is just not right. Thank you for fueling my nightmares. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Still looking through the uh, the Bizarro Central <clears throat> here, and as I keep scrolling down, definitely not safe for work, because there's... No, no. There's, there's walking boobs with... Uh, there's reviews of, like, weird pornos, too, so... Yeah, yeah it's, like it's Edward Penis Yes. Yes. For penis hands. So. Uh, which now yeah, we have it, an uh, not safe for work flag on this episode. Thank you very much, Jed. Uh, <laughs> you've just okay. cut our viewing audience in half. Great. <laughs> have I? You think? Really? No. You not think really. so? Good Lord, no. You know who listened to this shit. I mean, it's, you're choosing to click or not to click, so. <laughs> Be careful with it, though. Uh, don't do it in front of the kids yep. or anything. It's, it's some pretty disturbing stuff. Some of it is. Just beware. Be aware. Be very, vigilant. very weird. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. I like the weird, though. It's great. it's great stuff. Agreed. Need more weird. From the Miskatonic University Department of History. 
In the mid-1840s, a journalist and a physician traveled across southern Ohio, surveying hundreds of mysterious earthworks. The centerpiece of their research was a massive, meandering shape about a quarter mile long, known as the Great Serpent Mound. The effigy lies in northern Adams County, about 70 miles due east of Cincinnati. It had been noted by previous explorers, but it was largely unknown when Ephraim Squire and Edwin Davis published their ancient monuments of the Mississippi Valley in the freshly founded Smithsonian Museum Press. The figure forms a wending line made of rounded dirt a few feet high. Starting at the tail, a three-coil spiral opens to a curving body that winds seven times before ending in an open mouth. The serpent appears to be swallowing an oval shape about 40 yards wide. Scholars have guessed this feature could represent an egg or the sun or even a doomed frog. The engineers of this effigy are still unknown, but candidates include the Adena, or the Fort Ancient Mound Builders. The latter, more recent presence of the area, forged snake imagery into their copper designs. The date of the site was once thought to be around 1200 BC, but more recent science has put the estimate forward 2,000 years. Curiously, early geologists saw strange rock formations in the area around the mound. One observer said it seemed as though a mountain had been swallowed into the earth. Recently, scientists with modern tools discovered yet stranger details. Gravity works differently near the serpent. Researchers have detected small anomalies in their measurements that point to some kind of subsurface disruption. Immense forces appear to have ripped through the rock over seven cubic miles surrounding the site. 700 feet below the surface, rocks stand on end, and minerals below that have been ground into a fine meal. Now geologists say a growing body of evidence indicates that a giant meteorite might have struck the Earth here about 200,000 years ago. There could be other causes. A volcano could be to blame, or a massive gas magma bomb that bubbled to the surface. Since no one knows for sure, the disturbance has been called a crypto-explosion. The site raises more questions than it answers. Why is the strange oval shape aligned to the summer and winter solstice, while the curves of the body point to lunar alignments? Could the date of its creation coincide with the Crab Nebula supernova of 1054, or the spectacular passing of Halley's Comet in 1066? The configuration of coils also seems to line up precisely with stars in the constellation Draco, with the ancient pole star Thuban at its geographical center, but only if you dial back the clockwork of the sky 5,000 years. And what of the shockingly similar serpent effigies in Loch Nell near Oban, Scotland, and the abstruse St. Lawrence lowlands of Ontario? To discuss your theories, join us this Sunday morning at the National History Honor Society Ice Cream Social, where bold speculation is welcome. A hat tip to Miskatonic University History Department graduate student H.G. Bukowski for his research into this topic. Our thoughts are with his family and Ohio State Police during their search. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) I, you know, uh, Serpent Mound... um, I admit to reading a little bit about this beforehand, and H.G. You know, you're in touch with the family of H.G. Bukowski, I believe. Yes, yes, I am. It's um, it's a tragic story. However, I do believe that organites might, <laughs> might have come into play. Um, 
quoting an article, I'll uh, read this little quote. In recent years, Serpent Mound has become a mecca for New Agers. A story in the Columbus Dispatch last year offered a glimpse into that world. The headline for the story declared, Vandals Admit Muffin Crystal Thingy Assault at Serpent Mound. (laughs) (laughs) Hush, now listen. It gets better. According to the story, a group of people from the organization Unite the Collective posted a video showing people burying what may be hundreds of small muffin-shaped devices called organites in the mounds, hoping they were, quote, lifting the vibration of the earth so we can all rise together. They described themselves as light warriors. Dude, I can't believe that's so awesome. I can't believe <laughs> I missed that. What an awesome addition. Fantastic. That's what that uh, is. Name the uh, cult again? Uh it's called uh the um oh god, well, let me Sorry. Uh, Unite the Collective. Unite the Collective? Well that's that's the organization that posted a video. I'm not sure that's oh, the I actual see. but they call themselves the Light Warriors. That's the one, Light Warriors. Light that is awesome. Warriors, which is oh, I love it. There's, there's another line later on, which is which is classic as well. It says, the burying of these, quote, crystal thingies was just the latest in a long list of unusual new age activities. <laughs> oh, what? that is so great. It's awesome. Yeah, it's. A, I have a link to that article um, from the Indiana Country Today Media Network on the uh, show notes. <laughs> Excellent. That's brilliant. Yeah. Might also be an alien gas station. I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, alien That's gas cool. station. Okay. <laughs> well, something else I found <laughs> I want to add is that, uh, have you guys heard about the Al-Ubaid lizard? The uh, the lizards that are found in Iraq. It's another yes. lizard tie-in. Yeah, okay. Right. There's a, is a, a, an archaeological site, and these figurines have um, been dug up that are very lizard-like, and they d- they don't correspond to any known religion. They th- they think they might be um, possibly Sumerian, but yeah, I'm uh, trying to find some good pictures of those right now. Hang on. Yeah, there's some great images of, of these figurines that they're so clearly, you know, it's, slid up. And that's, am I spelling it right, Chad? Is it A-L space I-B-A-D? U-B-A-I-D. U, okay. Yeah, it's actually, it's a site, but it's also, Ubaid is um, considered to be a whole, a whole era of archaeology. Oh my gosh, if that's not Yig, I don't know what it right? is. Right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean these these tie into Fordian. Um, yeah, let me get a um, let me find a really good image real fast, and I'll I'll dump some links on you. Yeah, I like these heads. Um, it's fun to listen to people browse, isn't it? it it's it makes her oh, yeah. thrilling radio. I mean, uh, thrilling, <laughs> thrilling stuff. Really, click it. Click advanced search. There, that's a good one. That last one. Yeah. Um, this one's good. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, there's this lizard man thing. Awesome. Yeah, so uh, great for Iraq, too. I think there should be more games set in Iraq, personally. And uh, here is a an excellent tie-in with Yig. Yeah, it is a... Uh, 
that is a, a pretty interesting um, artifact to actually come across, you know. Mm-hmm. Strange. It, it's got that Egyptian quality with the crossed arms. Um, you know, some of them, it looks like he's holding the, the scepter, the Egyptian mm-hmm. scepter, uh, but it's obviously not Egyptian. Um, it is a snake-headed man, <laughs> which is just frightening looking. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's very interesting. Very interesting. Anyway. Yeah. It was a good segment though. I like that segment. I like Serpent Mound in general. I so like that you added the Serpent Mound details there. That is awesome. (laughs) I wish I I had put that in there. I did not know that. um, Oh no, it's fine. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, Bukowski, you know, we're sorry about his family. It's, it's, it's a tragedy. Uh, but I think he, he found too many of those organites. Um, so the, the story didn't get to you fast enough. <laughs> Muffin-shaped. <laughs> Muffin-shaped organ. <laughs> they're, made of, they're made of bits of, uh, of resin with bits of stone, glass, and crystal. <laughs> they, call them the, they call them muffin thingies. <laughs> Sounds like... <laughs> <laughs> they're burying muffin thingies in the <laughs> that's <laughs> just so wrong alright so there's, a, there's actually a whole section in the, uh, the Call Cthulhu rulebook about alien technology so mm-hmm. it seems why the hell not talk about it you know? yeah uh, it, this is something that you'll find in certain pre-written scenarios that it just involves some sort of a gadget or weapon or something that either it's just sort of left there for investigators to find and then play with and then usually die horribly mm. or it's it usually doesn't end well. being used against them and that's typically how i use them in the past is it as uh something that the npcs might have you know the, the bad guys would have mm-hmm. not necessarily the player characters yeah, for, yeah. for me, I, I sort of feel the same way about alien tech that I do about the like spells and magic. That um, it's more right. like evidence of something incomprehensible. That doesn't necessarily have to be raw, impressive power. Like, I mean, lightning guns are are fun, and we happen to know someone who's written one into a scenario. But uh, you know, I like more the low level sort of call fish spell mm-hmm. that. You know, it's not clear that it's useful. I mean, if you threw, like, an iPod back, you know, to, say, a Roman outpost a few hundred years ago, it would be this mystery. Right. It wouldn't do anything, you know, it wouldn't help them. But right. I mean, I, I don't think, I think a lot of these are, are unusable. Most, like, if we look in the 6th edition book, many of the things listed in here are completely unusable by a player character. Right. Amigo brain canister. the hell are you going to oh, do with Amigo brain favorites. canister? That's I mean, it is awesome, you know, it's but just I mean, great detail. It's just, it's horrific, and and like, there's no way you could maybe find a way to use it to improve the investigators. Um, Possibly, you know, like, but but basically, by introducing a Migo brain canister, you're essentially telling your player characters that one of them will end up in it. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the whole point of having a Migo brain canister in a yeah, game. It's like also the. Uh, yeah, the the Mego bio armor, which is really cool, a really cool detail to have in here. Um, you know, the the sort of biological harness thing that goes around the the carapace or or whatever the hell you would call the uh, the main portion of Amigo. Um, 
which is completely unusable by a human being whatsoever, you know? Um, but it does but, help describe if they happen to find one sitting separately right. somewhere. Right, it would like, it would uh, help. What's the big yeah, mass of oh, goo that? and ropes and right. what the hell? So, yeah. I mean, a lot of these things are not... at me? Just, alien tech, I don't think, is meant to be used as uh, something that the characters would normally get a hold of and be able to use, so much as it is um, little bits of detail for different um, races that allow the game to be fleshed out that much more. Um, and in the in the sixth edition book, you know, it's broken up by race. So you have a group of things for elder things, migos for serpent pe- uh, people, yithians, and then a little one for other races, which they don't really have much for other races. But um, it gives you an idea of some of the things you can add in uh, to make your monsters a little more believable, or, or to try and throw your guys off a little bit more, or to mystify. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, the, just to confuse the hell mm-hmm. out of people too. I mean the cube, yeah, the, the uh, earthquake this, this. cube. Yeah, the earthquake mining machine is is a good one. Yeah, I'll you really discover like one of those, and it's like, oh my god, what are they up to? It, it points to a deeper uh, right uh, agenda. And if you could have the earthquake mining machine, and then a stasis cube, uh, and maybe confuse your characters a, a few games apart, you know, because they look very similar, they're just giant cubes. However, they do vastly different things. So, for entirely different races. For entirely different races. So I think that would be interesting as well, to try and play some of their um, their knowledge off of each other. And that's that's another thing we mentioned. You know, you might not have to describe your actual monster as much. Um, you know, for instance, like in a Cthulhu Dark game, um, where if you see the monster, you meet a monster, you're dead, basically. Um, this would give you more ammo to use to try and influence the players as to what it might be or to confuse the players as to what it might be even so that you don't have evidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just as evidence so that you don't have, you know, your typical, your typical, um, call through the players going, Oh, that's a deep one. Oh, this is a deep one scenario guys. Okay. We're going to fishmen, fishmen, you know, so you can kind of throw it up a little bit and say, well, you just strange serum in a, in a small vial, you know, um, has a, strange taste of raspberries or something and it, it might take them a while to realize that that's a direct reference to serpent men you know what i mean so sure or you could uh, drop it in just drop it in as a macguffin that doesn't have right. any particular that people are after it and they want it for either it's you know, <laughs> strange uh, collectible sale value on some weird yithian right. black market or you know but right. uh yithian black market that's what yeah. i want well, right. But like, there's got to be think collectors. It's some sort of like sculpture by an unknown artist. Sure. Right. Like the mist projector. That that thing looks like mm-hmm. you couldn't even imagine a hand firing that thing. You know, it's just this weird lump of metal thing. Yeah. Or the um, used to have even a character the, that the, had one. Oh really? <laughs> and could, and yeah. Could use it. We uh, it, we I basically had to make a fresh idea roll every time I wanted to try because. The shapes were so weird you couldn't actually, like, fully remember what you did last time with it. So, uh, on a failed, it might be pointing the wrong direction, or you just might not get it to do anything. Didn't use it very often, but yeah, I had a hobo character that had a Mego, um, cold mist projector thing in a backpack. Awesome. 
That is terrible. I mean, and that does a crap load of damage, too. I mean, that's uh, what D10's worth of damage, right? Mm-hmm. Per, per mist. Um, a D10 per round, I think, something like that. Yeah, it was uh, a pretty uh, formidable weapon if you could get it to work. Actually, I think it might have been like a half an idea roll or something. It was it was not an easy device to use. Right. Plus, I had no idea how many charges were in the thing. But, yeah, that was sort of a fun little gadget to have. And, you know, if yeah, you're trying to get into, like, you're trying to infiltrate a... Uh, a, a cultist group or something that makes a wonderful calling card. Right. There's also the, uh, the like the tabula rasa device from the Yithians, uh, which you know could actually be on display in a museum. You know if you if you mm-hmm. describe it right, you know you could have it. You know oh, this ancient artifact, and then you don't know how to actually activate it and release the needles uh, until you start playing with it. You know have the characters mess with it. And then they somehow release these needles. You know, I mean, it's it's they're interesting items. There's some really cool stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. Another example of something that could be used in the same way, but can give you a tone of how one of these things can be used in an adventure, would be the lament configuration from the Hellraiser movies. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. the puzzle box could the very box. easily be thought of as one of these extra dimensional gadgets. And someone had, years ago, I think someone had actually made up a um, conversion rules for um, what is there? What are they called now? Centoids or cinnabites? Um, thank you. I'm God. I can't believe I missed that. Up. But um, you know, it has conversion rules for cinnabites to be used in Call of Cthulhu, oh, um, which is pretty interesting. That. Yeah, yeah. There, somebody just wrote them up, so it's like a word document I have somewhere. I'll have to send it to you. That's, that sounds kind of like the end cool. result of Mego just tinkering and seeing what yeah. they could do. Just messing with and everything. And this is the end result is, you know, creatures and that used to be people that are just these bizarre, right. malformed an things. Experiment uh, gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Or, or not gone wrong, just discarded. Yeah. Mm, let's yeah, see what exactly. happens when it lives out its life cycle. Oh, that's interesting. It kills a lot of people. Yeah, just, draws yeah discarded. <laughs> I think discarded is the best kind because you know they just mm. happen to find it, or your one of your archaeology characters happens to uncover a, you know, a, an elder thing crystal, thinking it's a precious gem or something. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and oh, lo and behold, it's not. It's an elder thing crystal. Uh, but he has no idea why in the world he's going crazy. And, yeah, uh, or gives it know. to his daughter on a necklace. You know, right. and and fund results. Get nice. All sorts of interesting things that that happen as a result. I yeah, for some reason, his daughter being a result spell. of Herbert West too. Hmm. That just kind of occurred to me. Mm-hmm. That would be an interesting take on it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but then there's 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 a bunch of you know races and sub races that they don't mention. I mean, it's a very short segment in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't create things like the deep ones. I've always considered the deep ones to have some level of technology. Yeah. Although it's like. You know, water-based, of course. Yeah, it's uh, sort of bio-organic, right? Yeah, kind of like they a, grow their cities. So yeah, exactly. Like uh, their cities are, to me are almost like a giant coral. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They just kind of influence where it develops and how. They just shape it somehow into you know via magic or technology or mm-hmm. what and have they you. Obviously, forge some sort of gold somehow, so they have technology in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they're just because they're on the ocean floor and 
the pressures of the deep don't bother them. They're able to just pick up that. We could bit. use uh, earth vents, <coughs> use uh, th- thermal vents, undersea right. thermal vents to forge yeah. metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different um, theories there you could use. Um, also, um, the insects from Shigai, they mentioned them in the book um, a little bit. They have a little section there. Mm-hmm. They've got that nerve whip. Which yeah, is, the nerve whip thing. Uh, I think those those probably need more uh, fleshing out. Personally, I think I would have had a couple of more, you know, f- fantastical items from. If they're able to do a nerve whip, then they're able to do uh, a number of other items. I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that what's good about mentioning a little bit is that it inspires. Uh, it leaves gaps open. I mean, that's yeah, fun, that's right? True. I mean, we're all as GMs, as keepers, we like to create shit. So stuff. Yeah, sorry. just kind of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you said shit. We I did. Okay. It was a good sentence, too. It's too uh-huh. bad you messed it up. Um, yeah, the insects of Shigai, the only thing about them is that, you know, anything that they would actually have, much like the nerve whip, would be so flippin' alien. They'd be like the misgenerator, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they would be so strange because basically the Shan are these temporal, dimensional, freaking insects. So if they have technology, it would be completely unrecognizable to us as humans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yeah. would just be some object that it would have no discernible function. Yeah, it would just look like a piece of shit or something. Or, or something, a coffee cup. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it would be. <laughs> but it, it turns out it's an interdimensional tra- transport device or something. I, like, you know what I'm saying? It, mm-hmm. It's just so off the wall that... Um, because they're just their form is so very very different from what we were used to. Yeah, when th- coming up with new stuff, I think of the uh, the gods must be crazy model that where a coke yeah. bottle drops into the middle of a tribe. Right. Like that's basically what's happened to somebody's you know dropped a an, a strange object that you have no idea, and then it gets the players guessing about you know how to try to get their mind around this alien species and see because players when you drop an item on them they are going to try to figure out how to use it you oh know, yeah of course and, and figure out what it does so it gives them a kind of um you know something to brainstorm about that you don't even have to have an answer for i mean no yeah. no not at all you don't have to provide that answer either and, and you can always think it up later games and games later you know mm-hmm. remember that item that you saved back in 1922 it turns out it summons Narlithotep. He's waiting in your foyer. You know, <laughs> what the? F- That's not good. Um, it turns out that it makes Shoggoths arise from the deep. Um, you know, I mean, you can just do whatever you want with it. It's it's really items. I like that better than than putting direct links to monsters. You know, because this it's more of that clue feel, more of that mystery type feel to it than being you know, oh, there's a mutilated corpse which has its own purpose but finding an item it takes your scenario in a different direction because like you say that the the players are going to try and figure out what it does and so you have that option of them actually activating it if you know what it's going to do or mm-hmm. or just confusing the hell out of them as a red herring um as another you know obvious option yeah you could have uh professors who have written papers about a particular thing who are guessing themselves you can introduce information and misinformation yep. from npcs because exactly. that's what happens with unknown things right you, know you end up with s- yeah go ahead oh go ahead no uh, there's that there's some kind of sphere that was found in the 70s in um somewhere in the south 
that uh, that was found in the remains of like a forest fire, and there's all it's one of those Fordian things that people have come up with all these theories about. It's just a metal sphere. This guy brought it home. They were like picking through the ruins of a of a forest fire. And this is the Yellowstone sphere, the the Betts sphere. The Betts sphere. B e t z. Yeah. Was it in um, Yellowstone Park? I think, let me look real quick. I think it was Yellowstone or somewhere, maybe not. Anyway, so uh, I'm sorry. I, could, I could be completely debunked on my details here because I'm going by memory, but it was, um, this guy brings it home and they're... Um, yeah, okay, here I got it. It was, it was Florida, I believe. But. Florida, okay. Yeah. Well, then it starts moving. <laughs> it's you know according to the story and it's got these strange sounds like something inside is tinkling and it apparently responds to music <laughs> well anyway that's the sort of Fortean level i think it's been a, a bunch of theories about it being part of an art uh display that fell off the back of a truck um i mean an <laughs> actual they, they found an art display that had these sort of large ball bearings and when they were machined they had shavings inside but they were perfectly formed as spheres so if you put them on a on an uneven floor you know like certain cat toys will do this you know where they just roll on their own because of unevenness but that's like that coke bottle like you just drop the sphere in and everybody's got a theory you know everybody's got a uh it's obviously it's aliens obviously it's a communication device i mean that's the kind of thing um and you don't have to actually attribute it to any particular race either that's the i mean it, it you know, you can just introduce this strange object and, and not have, as a keeper even, not have any freaking idea where it comes from just because it sounds cool. And you can use it as a red herring easily enough, just like that. And you've confused the hell out of your group and they're going in a different direction now. Yep. That's the fun thing about using this kind of a technique is that you can drop something in there that you just have to come up with a funky description for it and let the players figure out what they think it might do. You really don't have to know in advance as a keeper what this thing is. Right. Right. Exactly. That's what I was trying to get across, I guess. Um, But, you know, you can always introduce it now um, and then reintroduce it later as well, you know, a game Mm -hmm. or two later and have it as a recurring theme um, so that you can build up to the point where um, the sphere grows in size or something um, and it's and it's then re- you know received as a doomsday device as opposed to some strange little deal you know mm-hmm. yeah I like the idea of starting with a a theme in your game and using a device to support it somehow but rather than go the other way around to think about a strange I mean you could do it either way but you know to uh, if it is uh, you know, cosmic horror and the the power of the unknown the this earthquake cube to me is kind of like that like you're you're sort of trying to strike awe because if it activates you know then you realize oh my god earthquakes are not necessarily natural like they could actually be some part of some agenda or Mm -hmm. you know if you're using the mist like to me that's a the the mist projector is kind of there's an uh, obfuscation uh so if you have a very, you know, a foggy kind of, uh, I mean, literally foggy, or, you know, if you want to support a um, a, the- a mysterious theme with a device that creates, you know, uh, hiding things, to me, to me, it's kind of a good way to start for brainstorming new items. Yeah. Just think of a an effect 
that you would like to have and then just sort of say, okay, there's an object that creates this effect. How can I describe that object? Right. In, right. in a way that's not obvious and that, you know, it makes them wonder what this thing could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for description, that I'm looking at that mist projector and to, it reminds me very much of a, a cochlea, like part of the <laughs> inner ear. Right, yeah. and you look yeah, at pictures does. of the inner, right? Yeah, it's like, I didn't I think, think of that, but I it think does. that's exactly what it might be, and then they just sort of made it shiny looking. <laughs> yeah, it's just huge <laughs> and metal. Right. Or maybe that's actually what it is. You know, there's another thought. Maybe oh. this is the actual inner ear of some other interdimensional being, and for some reason unknown to anyone, it, it, oh, it generates mirrors. Oh, I love that. See, that's great. So weird. Yeah. Weird. You can go with that, man, you know? That's kind of fun to use it, you know, actual science as references for right. for tech, right? That's a good idea. I like that a lot, yeah. Um, also, the lightning gun. Lightning gun's fun. I mean, we know the lightning gun's been used and used again. Um, but it's still a pretty interesting, you know, a pretty interesting object and powerful object. And it's one of the few that are just overtly available to the players as an, a usable device, you know? Yeah. Um, as well, opposed John's to scenario like, that he had, I mean, I mean, it was something that the players actually construct, right. so they oh, knew how to pieces. use it. Right. They were um, given instructions on how to use the thing, so it was intended to be because it was a high pulp scenario. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't right. think it's wrong to you know to play that way to introduce um, no, things no, that are actually that's... toys that that you know empower. Uh, it's just a different flavor. Yeah, exactly. And then you can use these things, you know, to introduce monsters in general, like the stasis cube, you know, which basically puts someone in like a suspended animation type thing. Right? You know, um, basically you can put things or people into it and, and they'll come back, I guess. It's like how you would just, phantom zone. Yeah, like the phantom zone. That's basically what, it's like a black hole in space time where you can stick whatever the hell you want. Hmm. Um so you can use those to introduce just monsters in general. Say like something got stuck, somebody stuck something in a Yithian stasis cube for whatever the hell reason. Uh, archaeologists discover it. It was actually and, like a uh, from a dark ages. Uh, or it could like be like Zod. Game. And this is the end result prison. that they they beat the thing by putting it into this right. stasis cube, and then you find it and, and let it and out and it. undo it. Right. Right. Um, uh, yeah, so it, and it, I think what it does is it, it actually advances time one second internally per every million years of external time. So it's uh, you stay in there for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's... Um, but I think that's a good idea is to use it kind of like the Emperor Zod method where um, you know they're trapped inside of it and you've accidentally released them. That's a good idea. I like that one, Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that, and using that method, you can basically introduce any flipping monster you can come up with. Um, for some reason or other, gave the Yith trouble, and so they put it in a stasis cube. Mm-hmm. But they didn't kill it. That's what's interesting. You know, the, the, to be stuck in a stasis cube means that they must have intended to come back to it later, or they're using it as a as a deliberate weapon for future. Um, destruction. Yeah, you know, the uh, knowing that it will be released. The cube is a WMD. There. Right, exactly. Which I think is a really interesting option as well. Yeah, set a timer on it and then launch it into enemy territory, and then once it springs, then the uh, whatever the thing is is running amok, or, right. among whoever you want 
to have a bad day. Mm-hmm. For transportation, for interstellar transportation, you've also got the the great white space that you can use as a kind of pocket dimension to to right. um, span light years and get to other planets if that's that's right. what you want to do. You've also got space mead as a space travel possibility. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, you could use stasis cubes in that as doorways, you know, so you, you could, you know, bridge the gaps. You know, stasis cube is a temporal transport device, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, there's a whole different range of methods you can use. Then there's the really nasty stuff also. I guess we should mention the stuff from the serpent people. Um, the cartoid um, or carotid toxin, which basically it's like a pot 20 poison that... Um, eats away the carotid arteries um, in a number of, you know, con days, basically. You know, it kills you. That's basically what it does. Mm. Uh, and, and then they have the other, you know, like the uh, domination serum, which you know, is what I mentioned earlier, has a faint taste of raspberries, <laughs> uh, which I think is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's little, little details like that, which give items more of a, a feel, you know, oh, it tastes like raspberries. And then I'll have the characters thinking raspberries. It'll taste like raspberries, <laughs> you know, and they'll be completely off. And by the time they realize what it is, they've already been dominated and they didn't even know it. <laughs> yeah. Cause it only takes like a 10 drops or something or some ridiculously small amount of domination serum to actually become effective. So that would be kind of interesting if the characters inadvertently dominate each other to themselves. Um, you know, you know just could, just a single uh, teaspoon to put into your uh, muffin batter, right. and uh, they, or uh, better yet, maybe you could use domination muffin. serum on animals. You know, you could like put some uh, domination serum in a big bag of bird feed and just dump it all in the backyard and watch the birds come and eat it all. And now you've got a five. flock of awesome. <laughs> yeah, flock of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. A flock of awesome. So you've got dominated random birds number three. You know what I mean? That's an, that's an interesting idea as well. Bird I like that. Well, that'd be a the great... RPG scenario. Right. <laughs> well, I like the um that's a you know, if you have an NPC with that um right. you know, that's a kind of whole scenario seed like, huh? Yeah. Well, Birds are acting funny around old Jones's farm. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. They're, they're spelling words and shit in the grass, you know. Right. <laughs> I could swear that that uh, the bird is spelling "fu" in his front yard, but I I don't think they moved around too fast. Surely that's not what it said. <laughs> Come inside, little ones. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? They start talking all at once. There was a movie that I saw when I was a kid that had uh, these um, insects that looked like giant cockroaches. I think the movie is just called Bug. That these things came up from like deep under the earth and they were capable of generating like super high quantities of heat and burn things. And they mated with domestic roaches and wound up becoming very, very intelligent and kind of hive mind and... Like we're spelling out words on walls and stuff to so, people. Were they the ones that could start fires and? Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's called Bug. You're right. Yeah. It is. Okay. Yeah. There's a yeah, new one, new uh, film called Bug. So it must it, be different. Yeah. This was a, um, like a '70s yeah. movie. Yeah, it's from '75. And, uh, it uh, it freaked me out as a kid. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Bradford Dillman, Joanna Miles, Richard Gillon. Uh, Directed by Geno Svark. Svark. 
Spark. I don't know how to say that. <laughs> keep, keep trying, though, because it's hilarious. <laughs> how do you say the SVW? I mean, what the hell is that? Is it, is it pronounced with an F instead? So it's Fark? I mean, what the hell is SVW? I think it's all, it's like Sven, right? Sven? No, because it's S, not V, S Z W. So, Zwark? Zark? Maybe the S is silent? Zwark? I don't know. I have no Oh, that's, well, all right. Jeannot Zwark is the person? Yeah. How do you say it? French American. I've never, in French, it would be Zwark. Zwark. Yeah. Like I said it the first time. Yeah. Swark. Okay. Yeah. I thought right. it was like maybe Polish. We have a Polish listener who has corrected me a couple of times. <laughs> on, on well, at least once on a, on a bad. Oh, it was his name that I, that I butchered. <laughs> that's, <right. laughs> that's, that's bad. Yeah. Do you want to mention his name again so that he They're can call well you once worth, more? Well, well within their <sighs> rights to correct whenever it's their own name. Absolutely. Yeah, no kidding, right? Um, um, but now, Bug to... Bug is the movie from 1975, which okay. you're referring to. Dan, I'm sorry to interrupt and cause this long side discussion. <laughs> I do have a link there. There is a link there about the, uh, that's cool. it right here. So, dominated bugs. Awesome. Um, that's, a, that's a good idea. I like that, you know, some sort of, or what happens if a domination serum gets into the local water supply? I mean, what kind of crazy happens then? And who's dominating? Well, actually, let me, Right. how would it? work if you were going by the book i don't know well see the book it requires a luck roll um and that's it right there's um but but it's the dominator that's the thing is it says it's only uh unless he succeeds at a luck roll the and the imbiber becomes very suggestible but Uh, only to serpent people oh right so it's 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 dedicated to only serpent people um, the victim will do almost anything for serpent people, short of endangering his own lives or the lives of those he loves dearly. Uh, the serum metabolizes slowly and takes 1d10 plus 10 days uh, for a victim to be free of its effects, provided that he's not imbibed more during that time. However, I don't like that rule, and I think that it doesn't have to be serpent people only. I think, exactly, and I think it would be awesome. I mean, you could modify it, just say this was a mutation, you know, a, a different mm-hmm. experiment. Yeah, but I like the idea of it getting in the water supply and every be, everybody being suggestive of each yeah. other. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> everyone is dominated. Yes. Everybody is dominating everyone else in this one ah. little town, and you're there to figure out what in the hell is going on. <laughs> it's great. What an awesome... I mean, what the... Like, the all that the sounds like a, uh, a fiasco scenario, actually. Not it sounds, it sounds like, like a fiasco that. in general, though. You know? Absolutely. Well, I mean, uh, what, would you, no, I like you'd that. have like a lot of fornication. <laughs> be oh, a lot of. Well, you know, I don't know. Would of... you though? Because you'd be dominating, but they'd be dominating you at the same time. Right. So well, you would have. You have an, an endless feedback <sighs> loop of. Yeah, you you would have a bunch of people just sitting there. Oh uh, wait a minute, guys! I have to I have to say. It's actually not as cool as I thought. It's it's just alcohol. That's what alcohol does. So <laughs> <laughs> they've already invented that. That's that's good. You had me there for a second. This is the new secret uh, raspberry uh, uh, flavored ingredient for the uh, local the, moonshiner. Yeah, it's just <laughs> raspberry raspberry schnapps or something, mm-hmm. or a really bad brand of one of those. Uh, you know, lady drinks, the uh, sweet, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. wine cool 
This is Mad Dog Fifty Fifty Raspberry flavor. <laughs> the worst, the worst cinnamon-based freaking uh, malt liquor that there is on the market, really? or the best, depending on yeah. what your what your what your flavor is. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Um. Uh, but no, I like that idea. I like the idea of yeah. of, uh, of dominating everyone, or or maybe maybe whenever you get dominated is whenever you first drink it, and the first person you happen to hear speaking is the one that dominates you. So and not everyone is dominating each other, but you have mm-hmm. one individual who might be a dominated several other individuals who's in there for in turn dominated by another individual who you know in this chain goes on and on and on it's a great little like it pulls on the um mountains of madness theme of slavery where you have sort of suddenly a town splits into servant master pairs (laughs) yeah And, and you've got one i guess the thing is you would have to have have to figure out what the agenda of the masters are the people who uh, what if it's just a diversionary tactic, you know? What if it's just done in order to confuse the hell out of the investigators enough to get them away from the actual prime goal, which was to rob the bank? You know sure, what I mean? Sure. I mean, something mundane. You know, that, yeah. I mean, this is so out there that you could do it, anything like that. It doesn't even have to be a mythos reason for this to yeah. be a mythos just story. Somebody stumbled across a formula. Yeah. So you just came across or came across the vial even, you mm-hmm. know, serpent person domination serum that'll just dominate anyone to anything and just got mad and dumped it into local water supply. Yeah, I I love the idea of a scenario that is it has a mythos basis, but it has no like big bad fight at the end. It's just what right, happens just if mundane. let's let's play yeah, let's play a chain of cause and effect if the Coke bottle called domination serum drops into a small town. And then now what? And then you and that's definitely kinda like um that's kind of the basis for we're getting a little this is, this may be stretching it a little bit and let me know if I am stretching it too far um, but that's kind of the basis of the movie The Crazies where everyone goes you know turns into those weird infected zombie like zombie-esque kind of murdering psychopaths hmm. um, but it all stems from this downed airplane from the government that, that gets this strange chemical into the water supply so the people who are closest to that Water supply are the first people who ingest it, and so they go crazy first, and then eventually, you know, it spreads to everyone, and they all go crazy. So, I mean, it's a it's an interesting take on that, just replacing the airplane with a, a strange mythos device, and then nothing else is, you know, there's not another antagonist in the in the show except for the government themselves when they who they have to come in and, and clean things up. Mm-hmm. So I mean that is another option as well. You can and you could do it on any one of the sides of that. So you could be the person who introduced the the serum. You could be you know the person affected by the serum. You could be the the government agents who have to go in and deal with the people who are infected with the serum. Yeah. So I mean there's there's that different ways like you a, could do it. A good Delta could, Green scenario right yeah. there. Mm-hmm. You, you could have the same scenario run three different ways. For three different genres, you know, you could have the Cthulhu Dark style, um, and then you could have the, uh, you know, the bad guy, you know, where you're the psychopath, maybe, and then you could have the Delta Green scenario where you have to clean it all up. You know, it'd be interesting. Interesting. Lots of possibilities. Lots of possibilities. But yeah, it, that's, anyway, this is a side that has gone on for a long time now. Uh, well, it's just a fun idea that we stumbled on. It's a, it really is, yeah, I like it. The, that illustrates what you can what you can do you just like find a problem and backward engineer or figure out a piece of alien technology and follow it through to its right. logical conclusion 
which but, should be and, chaos and, and right, which madness. doesn't have to be logical at all, to be honest with you. But yeah, you don't have to explain <laughs> nothing, right? Like you, you yeah, can, that's the beauty of it. You don't have to actually come up with reasons. Yeah, uh, especially when you're playing an RPG or keeping like this, you can just and if somebody calls you out on it, you're just like, well, that's to be determined in a future game or something. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to have a, a set reason in mind for using this cool stuff. Yeah, or you can do the kind of Aaron Head idea of picking up on things that the players theorize, you know, and just going yeah. with your favorite right. one. Right, which is a good idea. Yeah, take the type um, of stuff that they're interested in seeing in a game and then roll that into, you know, a device or whatever. Right, right. or it, during brainstorming, you know, throw the Coke bottle down and see what they think it is and then mm, find some mm-hmm. something out of their out of their brainstorms and tweak it or twist it a little bit so that it's um so there's some unexpected element. Sorry, I died there for a second. <laughs> you did. That was that's dramatic. I apologize profusely for everyone. I I am not feeling well today. We'd never have guessed. No, no, you never would have had that idea. But speaking of, you know, um taking objects and changing them into something else and how you can use them, let's just shift the focus from objects to our main topic, which is cults and how we can use those in a game to make things better. Settle down now, class. It's time for your next lesson. <laughs> so slick. Oh, he's- Love it. He's, he's segwaying. I'm segway. I hear a segway. I hear a segway. Well, I thought of that segway. I was like, well, I'm going to do it before Dan does it or, or, uh, or, or Chad does it. I've been showing up on this one. All I I'm doing is coughing this. and snotting in the damn mic. <laughs> I love the segways, well man. That's, that's, that was slick as hell. That was a slick-ass segway, wasn't it? I it's learned better, that It's from, better than like, Robin all right, Wallace. guys, if we run out of gas, <laughs> then moving right. on. <laughs> You know, I, I, that, that's what happens when you listen to too much uh, Ken and Robin talk about stuff because they have some really, really good segues. They or, do. Well, I like. They transfers. have a great. I love their their device of like, well, we seem to be shifting to another topic, so it's time to get out of this hut and right you know. move on to the movie hut or yeah. whatever mm-hmm. hut. And in this case, we're in the cult hut, which means that we're about to be murdered and sacrificed mm-hmm. to some dark god. Um, and unfortunately for you, this might be our last show. Um, because we will be in small little pieces, flayed alive with our intros strung around the room as if they were Christmas lights. Um, however, you now will know where more. John isn't here. Either they got to yeah. him first, or he was forewarned and ran. Uh, way, or he's one of them. I'm pretty oh, sure. True. The latter. True. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's probably a good point. Distinct possibility. It can't just be because he's completely inept with technology. Oh. No, no that can't be it at all. It can't no. be that he's a complete There's, Luddite that has no the actual... The begins. <laughs> Who actual, he expects... Uh, I, he, he admits it. I mean, he, he admits he's a Luddite. He asked us pretty much to... Uh, well, okay, look, let's go into this. John is not here. John is not here, not because he does not want to be here, not because he does not feel that he should be a part of us. No, 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 that's not it at all. John is not here because John cannot click mouse buttons properly. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. We I love, love you, John. John. I love you, John, but There's my God, man. malware involved. There's probably... Uh, host of Geek Squads after 
trying to fix the problems that he caused with his clicking. So yes, it was all click induced. It was a click induced issue. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's right. In in trying to install Skype on a computer that already had it, and instead he chose the top result in Google for Skype, which was not Skype. It was somebody paying Google ads for to spread their malware. Right. I'm gonna find that right now. Oh yes, let's let's look it up again so we can potentially destroy another host's computer. Uh, <laughs> and that was after <laughs> his his personal computer right. died. This is after itself, he destroyed but, his his well. But well, we don't know if it Macs was by itself. Perfect. He might have he might have tried to install something and it killed it. We should anyway. come up with a te- tech issues bumper because this has turned into a segment. <laughs> Listen, uh, if you want tech issue things, uh, you should join us over on the IRC channel where we talk about tech an awfully lot. Uh, hey. Everything. Oh, yes, quite a bit because we're geeks. If you're on IRC, I, I, I dare say you might be a nerd, okay? Uh, I dare say you might be a nerd if you're still using IRC. If, you, if I say join us on IRC and you're like, well, yeah, I'm going to join that channel right now, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, um, you're probably a nerd and you probably have um, some, some serious geek cred uh, to you. Uh, which most of the people who are on the RC channel are actually in the technology field. So, brag, brag, brag. I'm just saying. Uh, but yeah, if you want to join us on RC, you should. Uh, we talk about tech a lot. So go ahead, join us. And our website has links to the subscribe to the podcast. If you have an event or news to share, go to mu <laughs> Wait a minute. Did we oh, just... wow. That was I see what you did there. No, that the wasn't a sec. End of the show. Oh, no. God, all right. That's enough. All right. So let's talk about cults. Um, Cults, guys. They're the crazy guys. Light warriors. (laughs) Let's talk about the light warriors and the organites, okay? Now, how are we going to use this in a game? Light warriors and organites. Uh, They're they're trying to raise the vibrations up from the earth so they can all be joined in this mass rising event to somewhere else. And obviously, they're willing to bury strange little mushrooms. To me, that sounds like a summoning ritual for Chthonians. There you go. Sure, that makes there, sense. Well, especially we since the we now have, yeah. but, well, but why are they called the Light Warriors, though? That would be the only problem. Because you know, Ecthonians are dark, and it's dark because underground. they decided to call themselves that? Because they're misdirection. Well, <laughs> they're misdirection. Yeah. And obviously, they are misunderstanding what's going to happen next. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> they're, they're, which is something we shouldn't mention, that cults do not have to be all-knowing or correct. Or often intelligent, for that matter. Yeah, they're, often they're not. Yeah, think of uh, think of real life cults, and you usually find the most bigoted, ignorant, backwards people known to man, um, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much what you're going to find in a normal cult as well. Uh, very rarely do you find uh, a Cthulhu cult uh, run by sane individuals or mm-hmm. um, or run by highly intelligent mastermind criminals. Well, that, now I'm going to push now back. In gaming, you're likely to find that. In or, gaming, you might, but I, I don't. Range though, I mean, there's still, like there are. Groups. Yes, but I'm, what I'm saying, I'm not saying that they don't exist. What I'm saying is that you're you're highly more likely to find the backwater cult run by idiots than you are the mastermind Moriarty cult. You know what I mean? That's there. It's just that's just the bell curve of statistics. You're going to come right. across the idiots yeah. more so than the geniuses. So I, sure, I, I, sure. I, I just there's like a lot of different. I think cult is um, a way to describe people who have uh, some sort of bond together. It's a really broad definition from in, in yeah. covered things. The actual from the definition Masons. of a cult is 
a very generalized thing that can apply to basically any group that gathers for a common purpose. Mm-hmm, like gamers. Now, the common, yeah, going to Gen Con, yeah, it's, that, that's yeah, a that's not massive, a cult orgy, mm-hmm. well, yeah. No, no. <laughs> Uh, well, I guess seen from because that doesn't it have to be deviant in some way to be classified no, as a cult not by the ba- I mean, not by the base definition because that's one thing that whenever I was in Ampgard that we would giggle about is that based by the definition that yeah this game where we hit each other with foam covered sticks is a cult yeah well and even there are some very harmless but that cults is a, that wait, are that, that is are a really cult, though I mean even by definition that would be a cult because that is deviant that's not normal. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, that's me. No, wait, no, I, I'm not. I'm not knocking on anyone in Amcard. That was me poking a stick at Dan, and that was it. Okay, <laughs> no one flamed me for that. I, I think. I think you have a good point there. That there, it, there's some. It's deviant is a, a bit loaded, but that there's a kind of otherness or outsiderness about a cult. Otherwise, it's just people. You know, otherwise there's there's it's no just umbrella. A, otherwise, it's a reading group. You know, otherwise it's a book group. Well, see, now, I yeah. think it's very interesting to take a reading group or a, uh, you know, a, a small and just, like, sort of up the bond that they have. But you're right, you, have to, you want to introduce a strong and unusual element uh, in a game. Yeah. Now, in most cases, it, it's got a religion element to it or something that has a religion-level intensity. Some sort of... Deification is involved usually, yeah. Especially in Call of Cthulhu, that's what we're really about: is that uh, that worshiping of a deity, yeah. yeah, or or something that turns out to be a mythos involved deity. I mean, I like the idea mm-hmm. of a group of people that think they're just like being like into new agey stuff. And it turns out that it's actually, like, behind the curtain, there's, like, one person who might know that they're actually, like, a, uh, a, a they're supporting Migo activities. Right. But, see, in, in that case, if there's not the mass, I guess if the alien is so foreign to human minds that any random act would seem as, like a, um, like a uh, prostration or, or, or a worship action. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. that would be considered a cult. But otherwise, if the if the mass on a whole is unaware, then is it a cult or are they just a book club? You know no, what I mean? No, I th- I think they are a cult, and I, I I think I think it's interesting to use them uh, unknowing cultists as uh, in a game because people do things for sort of relatively rational reasons, and then you end up. You know, the, without any deities or mythos things, and you end up with things like Jonestown, and it's just—it's you know—it's just horrifying. And right. you know, uh, you could easily say there's some kind of mythos tie to to that event. Um, and Jim Jones perhaps either knew or didn't know that uh, that what he was doing was going to lead to this mass sacrifice. I, I think it's better to to think about cults that don't know what they're doing you know or the whole the whole the the, the main body the doesn't majority. know what's going on yeah yeah at least the majority and sometimes maybe even the head maybe even the head yeah. yeah that'd be interesting how would you, you pull go. that off though how would you pull off a cult where the head is not even aware of what it's worshiping how, how does that work though you know like were you like the old uh, uh prince of darkness movie where you, where it's satan in a canister you know i mean is it 
you don't realize that's Satan in a canister, so you just start worshiping this giant green canister of glop. Uh, but then it turns out you've accidentally summoned Satan. I mean, how how do how do you do that? You know what I mean? Well, for one thing, you could um, you could easily have uh, the person being dominated. For example, I mean, you, you could have the leaders of the cult acting on one understanding and and it actually being something much more. You know, like like a, a cult that ends up sacrificing itself is clearly going to you know empower something to you know some some sort of uh, entity in the background but the um the sacrifice can be hey it's the end of the world and like a doomsday cult in general yeah yeah and we're all going to i think it's better to look at rational decisions that are based on really crappy information um because you know if if you think that you're going that this really is you know, just a temporary world and that the next world after death is better, then it's a rational decision to kill yourself. <laughs> so, you know, you don't necessarily have to have, have a, a right, Your belief tie. may be wrong, but it's still a rational, logical step. If you, if yeah, you from your perspective. Right, yeah. from your narrow viewpoint. Um, so all you need to have, if you want the mythos tie, um, is to have a misunderstanding of the leaders of the cult um, in in what they're doing, or you can have them be in on the, you know, the sacrifice. Well, what if we have a play on words with cult? You know, because cult, you can have a personality cult. You know, a <laughs> cult personality. Um, how would you use something like that in a game? I mean, could you use something like that in a game? I would say I would consider North Korea to be a cult. <laughs> that's a government really? cult, though, right? I mean, that's government policy cult, right? <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, like, you've got... It kind of depends on how much buy-in there is. I don't think there's a choice on buy-in. That's the thing. Yeah, Um, well, but but people also fool themselves into, you know, Well, if you you lie too long enough, you eventually... for generations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, eventually you just give up, I suppose. But that's true of, you know, um, cults in the, uh, sort of, um, militia cults in the U.S., too, that you just sort of... Right, the destructive to, cults or the, um, you know, the violent cults of mm-hmm. this would be another way of dis- terrorist cults or another way of referring to them. Um, yeah, I mean, you just sort of act on assumptions. You act on certain assumptions and then behavior. Like if you think the government's trying to take your guns away, then you want to hoard guns. You know, like if you if you are expecting yeah, FEMA camps. to be a cult, though, but to be a cult, they, they I mean, and in, 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 especially in the sense that we use them in Call of Cthulhu to be a cult, it has to have a figurehead of some sort. So there has to be uh, you can't just call ahead and say, OK, all these people who want to say preserve their gun rights are is a cult. That's not that's not. Oh, a cult. I don't agree. No, I don't agree. Sorry. <laughs> Who's the head? then? It doesn't have to be a head. I'm saying that I, I don't think there has to be. Um, Oh, you don't agree with that, then? Okay, I see. Yeah, I thought yeah. you were saying you don't agree that those people are not a cult. Um, I, I just don't. I don't see how that 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 seems like bringing it too far out. I mean, now I can classify anything as a cult. You know, a Democrat in general is a cult. It's a whole cult personality uh, given over to follow the old FDR uh, method of government. You know, it's bullshit. It doesn't make sense. Um, I, I think for it to be a cult, it's, especially in the sense that we use it in this game, there has to be some sort of focal point you know for for the game in general or if not the focal point you've got to have whether the focal point is the the deity or the um or, or the figurehead you know like a jim jones type issue um I, I think that has to be there in order for it to actual be a cult 
I don't think. I don't know. Give me an example of a cult playable. It certainly makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah, give me a Chad. Give me a, a you know an example of a cult without a figurehead or without some sort of main centered. Uh, talk point there or a hierarchy you know what I mean? in some form. Uh, some sort of hierarchy yeah i mean without it it's not really a cult i i don't know about that i i think i think common interest i think there there are um cults or groups that i would call cults that are um that use consensus as a leadership model and or you know the sort of community consensus which is an incredibly <coughs> crazy i mean you know quakers use consensus in their decision making well that's now we're going to religion okay so that's different though well so am i gonna, are we really going to draw a a bright line between yes. religion and cults really no 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 i'm talking about the use of cult in religion and the use of cult outside religion because we weren't we were kind of separating the two there for a moment when you were bringing up things like you know gun gun control people are a cult that's that's non-religious based you know what I mean? Okay. But if you're going to bring in, you know, like uh, Quakers, um, Universal Unitarians, um, you know, strange um, Scientologists, I mean, those are cults, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the difference between in a religious space is you have sex, you know, you have different sects of a religion, then you have an institutionalized sect of a religion, right? But then you have denominations and then churches, right? And then, you know, churches are parts of denominations, sects break up into denominations, and so the denomination is the kind of the middle ground there. Uh, cults come in right there, and they're just offshoots of certain def- uh, denominations in order to be, um, you know, different off groups that are not associated with a particular sect or church but are derived both from that so i mean it gets it gets interesting um but if you want to go into that that's a whole different issue and those and those have figureheads you know the like you can point to uh the head of scientology or the head of um you know the waco crazy guy cult um david koresh you know what i mean those are cult of personalities or they're they're, they're actual religious cults where someone is, is a messi- messianic figure or some other doctrine that has been followed throughout. You know, you could probably or argue. No, I'm not going to say that on air. Um, <laughs> I retract that before I even say it. All I'm saying is that there's two different kinds of cults in that sense. There, you know, you have a religious cult and then you could have a, a, a secular cult almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the way that we were kind of describing it. And I, I think it's careful to... To not mix the two, or if you do, you have to go all out and do it all the way. Yeah, and Webster's Dictionary actually even points that out clearly, too. You know, there were three definitions that it gave, and the first one was a small religious group that's kind of in an extremist-type position, and then there's two more definitions that have nothing to do with religion. Right, A situation in which people admire and care about something or someone very much or too much. Right. So there's your Bieber cult. Right, the cult yeah, I mean, Bieber cult, yeah, I mean, the, the leadership, I, I just want to make sure that we, we don't give the message that you have to use a leadership or authority figure no, in, no. in your cults in games. I think you can, I think it's interesting to think of one's uh, a cult that is based on a common understanding versus a common leader. Hmm. I see what you're saying. Yeah, so you have like a decentralized yeah, cult. yeah, it, it happens. Like, you know, like, from like, the outside, no, role-playing gamers could be viewed in this way, and there is no central authority in 
the Actually, hobby. I argue, I argue you cannot look at a hobby or groups of people who play a particular hobby as a cult, except in a strange, um, you know, tongue-in-cheek type manner. I, well, I don't I, think that you can mention that as a cult. I, I think you can in life. I think in the game, what you, uh, I think in the game that you I don't need think to you speak. can in life. I think when you do that in life, you're just being a dick. You know what I mean? If I refer to all RPGers as a cult, which is not given a, it doesn't have a positive connotation. When you hear someone's oh, in no, a cult, not at all. you immediately it, think it of is a bad meant thing. as an insult. That's an uh, insult. I disagree. Yeah. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> Sorry, I disagree. And yeah, give me a, okay, I, give me another yeah, cult where it's good it. to be a member of. Yeah. Srichin Moy, the, who was a guru in New York City who's passed away, um, has tons and tons of followers who are completely harmless. It's a, sort of a yoga, yoga-y uh, kind of... Right. Uh, right? But, but, but he is... I mean, that's one that has a strong center, and he's now gone, but he... Like, that's... To say that it is uh, a negative cult is a value judgment that's, that's kind okay. of not fair. It doesn't mean that... You're, you're right. But I'm not saying that that's the fact of it. I'm saying that when you hear that, it is normally associated in a negative manner. If I hear I, someone yeah. is in a cult, my immediate reaction is that I'm so sorry for her. I don't immediately think, well, that's good for her. I'm glad she finally found a place. I, I, think there's a stigma, I think there's a stigma around the word that is not fair. That, that, I think, that I think you're question. wrong. I think the stigma is there for a reason. And I think if it's not a cult, then it doesn't need to be referred to as a cult. I think that it, it's, a, it's a negative word in general. And it's been built up as a negative word in general for years now, for decades and decades. And I, I don't think it's think... a misunderstanding. And, and I, I think it's something that happened, you know, through through the the seventies and eighties when uh, particularly destructive cults mm-hmm. uh, like Jonestown. I think post Jonestown is it when people really start as scared. You know, right. like the it, the, the Moonies the were not considered the Moonies were not considered necessarily a, a a scary thing until you had Jonestown, and and you had you know people started thinking, well, what could happen to all these people? It just sort of seemed harmless, right? It's just like they shave their heads and they get rid of their stuff. I mean, it turns out that there are destructive things happening in that cult, like people people being taken advantage of, but it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way. There are many, but many cults. Even, that, I understand, that are not but listen. In fact, in, if they you don't go refer to, to themselves as cults, do they? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Like I mean, the followers of, of yeah, that's, what was that's the man's an organization name? <laughs> or a group. A group. From the yeah, outside, but they don't... something like that would be cult because it's intended to have that negative connotation or understanding as such. I mean, I think you're right that people would avoid using that to refer to themselves now, but only because mm-hmm. it's been stigmatized, not because it's accurate. Yeah. The, I mean, it's the a word system has of been religious redefined. Yeah. That's, and that's what I'm saying. If we use it, it now, it's going to end up with a negative connotation. Well, I don't know about it. It, it. it is going to end up with that unless we all buy into that, and I'm not buying into it. I mean, the definition well, no, that doesn't matter if you don't buy into it. That's fine, but beliefs. it doesn't. It, and, if, even if you don't buy into it, the 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 uh, the consensus of the general public as a whole, thanks to you know twenty or thirty years worth of of uh, bad cult vibes on the news and whatnot, you know, from Jonestown to Heaven's Gate, uh, means that when you hear the word cult, whether you want to or not, ninety percent of the American population is going to think of that as a bad thing. 
that's not going to come across as being a good item. You know, you're not going to hear about, and today we're going to talk about this cult of happiness that's roving across the nation. That doesn't happen. You hear about the cult of the suicide cults, the, the destruction cults, you know, the, the doomsday cults that all murdered each other uh, in hopes to get to some freaking spaceship that's flying across the sp- sky that particular evening. You don't hear about the good cults, even though they well, do exist. What and I'm so in popular is- culture, though, the, you know, the cult word has a negative connotation. I'm saying that's a problem, and you can choose to be a part of the problem and support that, or you can... I mean, the thing is, there are people in cults who are totally harmless, and they're just following something outside the culture. So if we, as And that's a cult of personality, and I understand the difference. I understand the difference, Chad, though. I understand the difference between, like, a cult of personality onto somebody who is complete, like the Bieber cults, who, as much as they annoy, annoy me, it is a cult, right? Uh, and I understand that they are completely freaking harmless. But I also have to understand that there are these, you know, the, the Heaven's Gate type or the Jonesboro's. You know, that so is let's not. differentiate and say there's a, That's fine. Call it a I'm destructive not cult. Or, and I am. It is, and it's what it's called. It's a destructive cult or a cult of personality. I mean, there are dis- definitive differentiations between the two. But what I'm saying is in popular American culture, when you hear the word cult, it is normally associated with a negative connotation. I'm not saying anything also, more than that. In, also in dominant American culture, when you say literally... You mean, oh my God! Right? Okay. But it, and now yeah. it's in the de- now it's in the in the dictionary. You're, you're, but I think that when, fair we, enough. when we mess with language like that, that we get uh, we lose specificity in the way we communicate, and that uh, you know we stigmatize people in this case that are I am not, not shouldn't be I am, uh, I understand what you're saying, but I am not stigmatizing anyone. What I am saying is when American population hears the word cult, it has a negative connotation. It might not always have been that way, but now it is, okay? Especially if you want to go back to the 40s and the Christian counter-cult movement, you know, um, where they, and that's really where I think it started, the, the bad cult vibe in general. Um, it, from that point forward, it's gotten worse. And, and there's nothing... There's, I understand that it's not necessarily a bad word, but I don't think most of the population understands that it's a bad word. Do you understand I, what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. Yeah, with but that don't mean that 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 doesn't make me want to change the way I use the word. <laughs> you know that the, I'm not that, saying that a, that a to majority... change how you use the word. Right. So I let's never use the word. A different topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll just cut about Have half of that out. Any? I mean, yeah, yeah no, no. it's just talking about definitions. I think it's a valid, like, it's a valid thing to talk about. And I, I mean, no, I think, I think having an exact no understanding of what a cult actually is and mm-hmm. how broad a term that that can actually be is important in game sense as well because you can have cults uh, mm-hmm. that you might not have assumed were cults that actually are. You know, especially in the perfect example would be a cult of personality, you know, the Bieber followers. That's a scenario on its own. That might be a freaking campaign on its own. Well, that's the you know thing. Like, saying? if we if we broaden the definition, then we get more uh, fertilizer for for topic, you know, for game uh, material right. no, rather yeah, than less. You know what I mean? 
We don't. No, if we if we say cults in have game to have terms, it's different. It's it's a different entity entirely. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. yeah. when we're talking, in the game, no, there are about, black robes and candles involved. Exactly. Well, usually they don't have a, to be though. Well, wait. No, and I understand. Wait, 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 yeah, I think we're getting it's also fun we to have look at these different perspective and look at we look have at, these dark know. cults, you know. But what about like in um, um, what was it? I think one of the White Wolf games had cults. Basically, they were cults from the Mage Ascension game, right? And so you had these cults that were technology cults, um, and they were centered on technology. And, and basically, they were cults, but they were also heavily technocentric uh, cults. You know what I mean? Uh, so you have that as a different kind of genre of cult, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, that you could introduce into a game. Now, they may be as, just as evil because it is a cult and this is Call of Cthulhu and you need an antagonist. Uh, so, I mean, they might be just as bad, but they're focused on something more different than you would normally think. So instead of being, or maybe it's one step removed, they're not worshipping Narlathotep. They're worshiping the bloated lady. You know what I mean? So that's one step removed from the actual deity. So in this case, they're worshiping technology. They're not worshiping Yogg-Sothoth. You know what I mean? And so that way you're one step removed, and you can always tie it back to the mythos in some way or another. So that you can have pretty much any group turn into a flipping cult in one way or another. Yeah. Good, bad, or indifferent. That's the model I like. I mean, you know, like... uh, Take the Knights of Columbus, which are basically just a, a Catholic Masons group, right. and like let's set aside the racist weirdness that happened, where they were accused of of eating babies and stuff. Right. Um, but you know, which, what which if, honestly, why don't? What if we don't set that aside and you pull that into a scenario on its own, right? Sure, sure. Or I have mean, that be? I mean, a that's a known. It is, and it's. It, it, you can have it be true or not true, right? You could. It, like, right. it is a fact that that uh, they've been That's accused of that. Right. right. They've been accused That's of it. That's an so. actual thing, so it doesn't. It, it's not hard to to make up more from there. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but but what I like is you can take a cult. Uh, um, um, I, I don't want to like. No. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I don't want to like dust up the uh, no, no, disagreement more, but you no. take a cult that is essentially um, good natured. And you can use them in a game either way. They can become, you know, the Masons in Kingsport can become a... a f- Force of a, good. It, well, like Maps, yeah. I mean, Maps is kind of a cult, guys. You know, it's... it's. <laughs> oh, yeah, without a doubt. You know what I mean? Yes. They have a common belief that they don't have a leadership necessarily. They're, they're deviated from the norm, which I consider deviation from the norm to be a part of the cult in general. Um, whether I or not- think that's fair. I think, I think, I think that's fair. But but the norm, you know, they have some common the norm is, belief. Well, that's the thing, you know. But it can't be norm. so broad, like you can't just say belief in God is a cult. But you have to. No, serve. because that is the norm, right? Right. I mean, for for the vast majority of the population, that is the norm. So you can't say that. But I mean, like you said, the Masons. That's enough of a deviation where you could say that's a cult. Well, they I mean, have rituals, not, and they have like they have rituals. Yeah. I mean, that's easier to make that association than it is to make. Um, some of the Secretness other cults. and and privacy in that manner kind of lends itself to that sort of identifying as well. Definitely, it it binds. You know, ritual of any kind binds a group together in a very. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, that's probably its its entire purpose is is to just bind people together in a common behavior. Right. 
Okay. It <laughs> didn't topic. exactly go anywhere that I was thinking yeah. of, but well, you know, this uh, is a this is a hard one. I mean, how do you use cults in game? I think it's a trouble troublesome word. I, 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 you, and you, I think our discussion brings that up. You know, that it's no, and I agree entirely. I think that if we could get away, like you said, if we can get away from the negative connotation of the use only, so you think of only the black robed, candlelit, uh, black candles burning, you know, baby murdering uh, cultists. If you can get away from that and go to something completely different. Um, and bring and introduce those as Celtists, whether they're protagonists or antagonists in your scenario. Um, I think that your scenarios will, might end up being a little more interesting. Um, well, because you're going to you're going, to, and I say that, and I bring that up not to f- start the flame war up again. Because most people, <laughs> when they hear the cult word, they're going to think they're bad. So whenever you introduce a quote unquote good cult, um, you're going to uh, you're going to throw things up a little bit. You're going to mix them up a little bit in ways that you players are not going to typically think of, especially playing Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And actually, you know, for my taste, because I am interested in exploring the the edges and the broader range of that definition, that um, it's it's fun for me to play with those expectations, you know, to... to uh, yeah. But I, I know, Dan, you've talked about gray areas. I mean, you sort of like, to some degree, a, a, a clearer de- delineation um as far as who's a bad and good and um yeah the 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 directions that i tend to go in in my stuff that you know while i do enjoy something having ambiguity um you know ambiguity in there on who might be you know who with you or against you and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. it is still nice to have that clear black hat white hat sort of thing i I think that but i'm all for the uh you know the the local uh, ladies quilting be actually you know having (laughs) a uh a a mythos thing that they do on the weekends yeah yeah um no i i think that um that is uh, that that clear definition between good and evil is, is a very common theme in the pulpier style of the game where it's yeah. very, it's very delineated on what's right, what's wrong. It's easy to make that di- differentiation, and it's simpler to 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 act accordingly. And, and I think that's the difference. That's a main difference between the pulp and the purest style of play of of Cthulhu, where that's you get more and more gray area, like Chad mentioned earlier. Whenever you you bring in these other options that are not so clear, you know, you have the very nice uh, old ladies who. Um, cook baked goods and feed the homeless and quilt every other night of the week. Uh, it just so happens that on Saturday nights they kill a f- infant and eat his heart or some sh- You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's just, or it can be even less, it can be even less. When they're feeding uh, the homeless, they're feeding them other homeless. Right, exactly. That's even better. Oh, that was awesome. I love That's it. That's awesome. Yeah, so they're seen as being in the in the community. You, know, you have this look of one viewpoint of being, you know, oh uh, these, these generous, wonderful people. But on the other side, uh, they know themselves, uh, and possibly the investigators know, um, that they are the most demented f***s uh, that are in this town, uh, feeding the homeless them homeless. It's such a it's a good solution all around, right? I mean, you reduce the homeless population. What if they're in correlation and, with another group in a, in a neighboring in a neighboring city? So they're actually harvesting 
this other group is harvesting homeless from one town, and then this group is more of a compassionate group, and so they feed these harvested homeless to this homeless in this town, trying to make it better. And so you have these two dichotomy, you know, this dichotomy of groups, same cult. One group wants to get rid of the homeless. One group wants to keep the homeless, but feed them and raise them up to make them more worthwhile members of society. And the way that they do that is by feeding them the killed ho- homeless from the other town uh, for free food. It's practically uh, a Steve Miller song, you know. It's it's you shoe, you shoe the children who have no shoes on their feet, house the people living in the street, and you feed the children to the other children. <laughs> Uh, and, and as uh, because they need their meat. <laughs> Can't have any pudding unless you eat your meat. <laughs> oh my God, that went all the way around. Okay, um, so I, I think that cults are interesting, and you can use them, and I, and they should not be used typically, uh, just in their in their normal connotation. So far as. Uh, uh, you know, so far as uh, we normally see them in cult. I guess we should just run through some of the typical cults. I, I mentioned, you know, the cult of the of the bloated woman, which is the famous cult for, of Nora Lithotep from uh, the masks scenarios, uh, the mask campaign. There's also the uh, the cult of the bloody tongue, uh, which is another Nora Lithotep. Masks has like a cornucopia of cultiness. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of cults. Pretty masks, much it's... Yeah. They're all interconnected within They're certain all parameters, cults and as well. they all, and it's like the leaders of them all know each other, but they all have a different focus. Right, but it's, it's very like strange. Every every big campaign for the game that's been published actually has this. I mean, you've got the uh, Brotherhood of the Skin. Yeah. You've got yep. Uh, let's see, you've got uh, uh, the uh, cult of the um, oh the 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 beast. The faceless beast. Oh, uh, yeah, you've got the. You can pretty much take any one of the Narlis oh, avatars and 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 say that avatar's name cult, and and it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. It's not it's not very difficult to do that in general. Um, in there is also in the, darkness. Yeah, that's what I was going. There's the people that were hanging out with the Mygo. They were bef- definitely you know part of that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And there were recordings of their. Uh, Rituals and and uh, cheer, you know, cheerleading practice and whatnot. Right. Ooh, uh, I just ha- I'm sorry. <laughs> I just go for um, it. Um, I just thought of uh, a really fun document that you could have. Uh, some of the W, um, the WPA um, records, oh the seventy sixes of right. They, 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 you know, there was all kinds of folklore, folklore, and. Right. Um, and, and like Native American rituals recorded and that kind of thing, so you could oh, easily have a seventy-eight of, oh um, that'd of, be of, freaking you know, something crazy. out of the right, something out of the mythos. Yeah, yeah. them summoning Narlathotep or the bloody, uh, the bloated lady or something. Right. I guess you'd have a bunch to of, up- a bunch of Chinese Americans. Well, a bunch of Chinese Americans who are in Chinatown, uh, New York or San Francisco, who are chanting up the bloated woman. Sure. <laughs> You've also got like there's a cult of ghouls, right? The the ghouls themselves are right. members of a particular cult. The cultist of ghouls, mm-hmm. uh, described in the cultist of ghouls, I should say. But then there's there's other things, you know. You have the uh, weirder items, I guess. Like I mean, you can basically create a cult off of any of the monsters within 
of the mythos. Somebody, someone, someone in the world is stupid enough to worship anything. And if that's exactly. their only Humans introduction, are malleable like that. <laughs> yep. And if that's if that's a character's only introduction into the supernatural, right? They've lived a normal life until they saw a dole. Um, then guess what? That dude might just very well start a dole cult. Cult, you know, and the doles might like that, um, and the doles might come and, and help them out whenever they need to. There's no reason that can't happen. I think that's easy to keep in mind as well. And, and again, that's all you know in game kind of theory. Um, so far as you know, real life, that's a whole other issue, and I, and I don't think we need to get that far into that. We already did and, and fought a little bit. Um, but I love yeah. you, man. It's okay, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I messed up on drugs. Leave me alone. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to push back so hard on that. It's just, it's uh, no, and I, kind I, of, I understand. Kind of a bug you know, a look, we're getting into it. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> okay, all okay? Right. but I'm not. I'm not arguing with you. I'm just trying to tell you that the population as a whole thinks of cult as a dirty word. Okay, there. I said it. That's the end yeah. of it. Let's move on. All right. Well, I, I have the last word. Change. No, I'm, I've got the last word. No, <laughs> I have the last word. <laughs> I think I really did get the last word. Poop shingle. Poop shingle. What? Listen, we're going to talk about poop shingles. That's a whole other show. (laughs) That's going to take hours. If there's going to be a last word, I want it to be poop shingle. Wait, is that a thing? Wait a minute. I don't know what that is. Can we do that? No, it's... I you feel free. I have no idea. Poop a friend I had in Wisconsin uh, yeah, actually used oh, it as his default weird word. That, uh, when uh, one needs a meaningless generic word for anything in particular that requires a noun, one can use poop shingle. Hey, what's the password go. we're supposed to give at the crosswords? Oh, the password is poop shingle. Or what do you think is going on here? Poop shingle. <laughs> I like using it whenever somebody uses the... Uh, the tired old phrase whenever you meet up. You know, hey, what's the good word? Poop shingle. <laughs> uh, there is a website. I, 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 because I Google everything we, we find. I search everything we, we mention. Uh, there, there is a, uh, a website called Trito.com who has a title, uh, Diarrhea and Shingles. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> shingles, diarrhea and Shingles. And and a small discussion of 275 online articles discussing diarrhea and shingles. And uh, I found a uh, a Japan pop, a Japan pop <laughs> album on eBay called Jungle Smile, Jasum, uh, Jansuma Pop Shingle Shoe. <laughs> We want to hear from our listeners. We have lots of different ways you guys can reach out to us. Our main contact email address is feedback at mu-podcast.com. We also have a Twitter account at mu underscore podcast. And you can join me on our IRC channel at pound miskatonic u on Freenode. Uh, and there is an IRC chat interface on the feedback page of the website now at www.mu-podcast.com slash contact. And we have a Providence, Rhode Island voicemail number 401 400 MUP. 
That's 401-400-0687. Ask a question or leave us a liner saying who you are, and I'm enrolled at the Miskatonic University podcast. We'd love to get a hearty go-pods for our home team, the Fighting Cephalopods. Our main website is www.mu-podcast.com, and you can find our show notes for this episode at mu-podcast.com slash 51. That's the number 51. Our forums are at mu-podcast.com slash campus. Come join the community and join in the conversations. Uh, we also have links where you can subscribe to the podcast on the website. If you have an event or news to share, go to mu-podcast.com slash guest to be a guest poster on the website. And the link on the right side of the website is our SpeakPipe link for audio comments. Those are very cool. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Class is dismissed. The Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is property of Chaosium, Inc. The written works of H.P. Lovecraft are held in the United States public domain. All other works mentioned in this podcast are the property of their respective owners. Original content of this show is copyright of the Miskatonic University podcast under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. Okay, this is all for the outtakes, by the way. This is not a, a, a coherent... F- However, what is coherent is to point out that it sounds like alien technology to me. Oh, wow. What a Boom, thing. I just dropped the mic again. Boom. Damn, <laughs> man. You were on fire today. Yeah, I am. Um, I there like is a long, a long, brilliant history of Poop Shingle, um, which I think that we need to go into on a, a further uh, show. Definitely. Uh, for instance, uh, the whole conspiracy of fur no. droppings on asphalt shingles. I'm just saying. You never know. Thought that was a good one. <laughs> oh, this has just gone so horribly weird. It's been a great show, though. I have to admit. It's kind of fun. When we don't have a like script, it. it gets weird. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, we'll just talk about cults. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. <sighs> okay, sorry. Hey, you know what? We want to hear from our listeners. And we have lots of different ways that Dan can read this line. Are you so are messing with the universe. <laughs> I know. I stopped. I couldn't do it. Go ahead. Our website has links as well to this. To scab- I <laughs> our website is really a our, our website is really a portal to a cult of personality centered around Dan. <laughs> if it succeeds, we will summon Narlothotep in Dan's image, and we will all be eaten wholeheartedly first. Poop single. <laughs>